0: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Hello, and welcome to the eighth episode of The First Exchange with me, your host, Lydia DeDogh. Well, I've wanted to get this man on the show. Well, since we started, I always knew I was gonna get him on, but I'm delighted that he came in today for the eighth episode. Loads to catch up on. It was, of course, John Connors. Actor, writer, director. Um, owner of Cluster Fox Films, um, will most commonly be known for his role as Patrick in Love, Hate, who killed Nidge, um, and also for cardboard Grancers, one of the most successful Irish films of all time. Um, it was an absolute pleasure to get him in. Anyone who, who follows what I do on Fight Connect TV, you'll know that I interviewed John um, a couple of months ago, and the interview was just blew up. Everyone loved it. Um, so he was in today to talk about Everything from his culture to getting started in acting, to his process, his creative process, to his friends, to relationships, his mother—we really went deep and um, uh, got a, a little insight into into John. You know, so I hope you enjoy it. As always, thank you for all the support and all the feedback on the episodes. If you enjoy what you hear, please share and uh, spread the word of the first exchange. And let us know who you'd like to hear on the show as well. Um, but for now, it's John Connor's episode eight. Episode 8, John Connors, how are
2: you? Good, thanks Thank for having
1: you. me. Thank you very much for coming in. I know you're a busy man, so I do appreciate it.
2: No, you just texted me actually. <laughs> do you know what was funny? It was such a, um, a precise, uh, assertive text. <laughs> hey John, I have a podcast lot free, such and such a time, such a location. <laughs> are you free? And I was just like, Yeah. Okay, and <laughs> yeah. you were like, "Sound, but
1: I am straight in, no yeah. mess, and just get the job done." Yeah, you know, that's what the I mean? way just I like ask it. ask it straight
2: out. I hate, I hate actually doing this three months ahead thing and all that because I haven't got a fucking clue. I let people down the whole time like that. No. But if you're asking who or three days in advance, yes, I'm there.
1: People like obviously this is episode eight, so we're doing this eight weeks, and uh, people keep saying to me, "So who've you got on like the next couple of weeks?" I'm like. I don't know, whoever is free, like I'll talk to a bleeding the milkman. Like, do yeah. you know what I mean? But um, I'm delighted that you came in. Thank you very much no the last time, because obviously a lot of our viewers, you know, since we did the interview um, on Fight like Connect TV, a lot of our viewers were like, oh, you have to get John back on, do more with John. So I was like, perfect opportunity get you in. Um, but yeah we done an interview out in your camp uh, out in Kulak is it Kulak yeah, yeah. And it got a good reception yeah people yeah. enjoyed it you well, know? a lot of
2: people hit me up from that actually yeah
1: yeah it was good you know I was in um, Kilkenny and I was walking through like a back street in Kilkenny and there's a youth centre I can't remember the name of it but there was a bunch of traveller young men outside and I walked past and they were all looking at me you know and I was just like oh, I didn't take any notice and I was halfway down the road and they are like do you want to do an interview with John Connors? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so I love chatting to him. They're like, oh, we saw it was brilliant, you know, it was really good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Good I don't though. really get not recognized that often, do you know? Do you mean? know? No, no, really. i surprised now. No, I do in in pubs and stuff, I'm at yeah. the bar. And like I'm just kind of like I get people looking, but not. I'd say you get no. hounded
2: when you go to all these fight events, though, by randomers who would be watching the stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of working. Not, the, the, not really at the fights because they're used to me. Like I'm at all of them. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I
2: was at that uh, the Craig Oakley fight.
1: Oh yeah, you came.
2: Okay? You, you, you sorted me out for that a nice one for that.
1: No bother, you're um, welcome
2: that was fucking crazy yeah because <laughs> oh, you were well Christ. used to like
1: you know fight nights and the yeah. box and everything
2: well that was mad that was mad uh, the people just it's a, there's a lot of macho men in the building <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they're yeah, very yeah. loud
0: very and they loud. all
2: recognise me and it's like oh my god and I was sober doing a sober one and everybody trying to buy me drinks and all I was going this is so no many way. triggers here <laughs> that was crazy by the way that show man. Yeah. Like, was I, like, I'd never really uh, checked up after this obviously everybody thinks he's got, it was the biggest robbery ever.
1: Well, yes, yeah. Dear yeah. God,
2: mm. what? Like, I'm used to this in boxing, but I, that's my first Muay Thai event. I've watched it on YouTube for years, but that was crazy. To me, he clearly won one, two, and three, and five. Lost the fourth, but could have even you could even maybe make an argument, that's what I thought. Yeah, that was my the,
1: their argument for it was that the he was told that the WBC scoring was that um, all all attacks, all all punches, whether it be knees, kicks, or punches, are scored equally. Whereas in traditional Thai, the kicks would score higher than a punch or a knee or an elbow. But so it was meant to be WBC rule set because it was <coughs> a WBC title, but the scoring was done Where were like the judges from? The UK.
2: Oh dear God Come
1: on <laughs> The judges uh, were from the UK And they actually are work for the organisation as d- well so. Do you know
2: how sure I was uh, That he won We left right before The decision was announced
1: Yeah My brother was the same He was I like I just ah, he left it. Said, Get
2: out of here Like, You know what I mean Get, uh, get out of these mad people uh, This mob uh, yeah. But then A friend texted me And said he lost I said fuck mm. off Yeah. I'll tell you what I did I immediately This is what i done I immediately tweeted Craig And yeah. said well done champ blah, yeah. blah 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 Oh, you I, did, did you? Yeah, no. Listen, I, and then someone told me he lost, so then I deleted that tweet. No. And way. then I retweeted him saying you were fucking robbed. That's how fucking sure I was that I like. it could. I saw
1: the wordy rob because I was with him, I was like, look, John Connors is after like putting out a tweet, I was like saying fair place you know, and mm. he was like, see, everyone knows he knows. But you I know?
2: first tweeted him, but I said it looked like an easy <laughs> now. I said, well, don't champ. That was a masterclass. That's what I said. Yeah. But I said I have to fucking delete that now because mm. it, it, you know, obviously, he would have been very sensitive after. Losing sensitive, the fight. Like that. yeah.
1: Look, like he's—he we oh had him God. in last week. He's still sensitive. You know, he's going through the motions. You know, it's like—it's like a death. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like a death.
2: There's, there's nothing worse. I was robbed myself in a number of cases when I boxed, and it's so disheartening. I know a lot of young boxers who could have been the next great that just got one too many robberies. And it just killed their motivation mm. at the wrong at 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 the wrong time in their career when they're just progressing, and uh, it's very sad. It's very sad. People who dedicate their whole life to this um, absolutely, it's heartbreaking for them.
1: What do you think is the right course of action for yourself in those moments when you're kind of? putting because you want to wreck the place you want to yeah. upend everything but even not even on the night but going forward what do you think is the right way to, well, to no, conduct I yourself I
2: don't know if I'm the right person to give advice because I'd say me getting robbed was the the last couple of robbies I got was a part of why I stopped boxing mm. literally the last two in a row um, were one where I, it was, I literally gave I felt a fella an ass whooping mm. and walked out losing so uh, I ended up taking a year off then because of the last robbery I got, and then when I cu- when I came back, I couldn't. I just couldn't get back into boxing again. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just lo- lost the motivation. But I mean. That means that I wasn't meant to be a true champion. I didn't have that in me. If you're a true champion, and he is, mm. he's just going to come back. And I think, I think that's going to just inspire him more. You can see it. Like, mm. And to be honest with you, like after the first round I was going, he won. Well, your man's going to come back. He's just holding off, and he's, he's going to go. And then the next round he won, I said, no, your man's going to come back down the third. And I'm not going against him, but this is Because I was just thinking, no, he's, he's just holding back. Yeah. He's holding back, and he's pacing himself like in boxing but Jesus just kept going and he won the third and then in the fourth but still I thought was a close round that I would have mm. given to your man and then he won the fifth and I was like Jesus this was a master class yeah. an absolute master class
1: and for those of us who've watched uh Craig fight over the years like he's never looked as good yeah. he he felt you know in talking to him since then he felt just the energy of 2000 people in that room that was crazy you, that walkout out that walk was else, crazy right? like in terms Fucking. of like, the ground energy. was shaking yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah it
2: was some atmosphere yeah. it was one of the best atmospheres I've ever yeah. seen in a fight like I mean, and I, yeah. I was getting excited like yeah
1: <laughs> <you know? laughs> I'm excited. yeah. I'm delighted I'm delighted that you had a good time so there. so
2: you're you're at the convert me over now I'm going to be going to more of them events you <laughs> <want> <laughs>
1: I think i will have to Collins. wear a
2: moustache <laughs> Now and, <laughs> and glasses the next time, though, but, but definitely going to more of them
1: for sure. Deadly, deadly, good stuff. And you Oh, the only like,
2: one thing, the one on. thing. Oh my god, oh my god, I want to kill the DJ. Who was the DJ?
1: Oh, should I name and shame Because well, that's why, his livelihood. No, this why, is, why, this is why
2: not the music. The music is deadly, right? Yeah, when uh, your man that brilliant fight between the two Irish fellas, fucking Ward was, and he, he got the knee and he got knocked out really bad. The knee. Oh, no, no, it wasn't a knee. Was it a, a, a spinning
1: elbow? Yeah, spinning elbow. Yeah. and Momo Kale. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, so your man who got knocked out was winning the fight. Yeah. To me, anyway, it looked like, but it was a war of yeah. attrition. It was like Gatti and Ward. Like, so exciting. So excited. I was yeah. literally pumped. I was getting goosebumps. It was yeah. that type of fight. But he got knocked out, and the DJ kept the music on. And I swear to God, I swear to God, Lydia, I was roaring and saying, don't someone tell that cunt to turn off the fucking... Yeah. It was the most disrespectful thing ever. Know, yeah. And fair play to the medics, the trainers, everybody, because they were straight there. Everything was done correctly because yeah. I always watch for that. Mm. Um, and uh, in boxing, we're great at that now in boxing. And that was done right, but they wouldn't turn off the music. like So people were still partying away while this fellow was on the ground. And it was one of the bad knockouts that you think, Jesus, yeah. this fellow might not wake up. Yeah. And thank God he did, but whoever that DJ is gets his shit together, mate. It, do you know what? No in, in
1: his defence, he's never done a... Um, a show before a fight night, so it, I'd think he was probably like, "What does one do uh,
2: Is he not a human being?
1: Like, <laughs> that is true. That <laughs> just is just a
2: human being. Hello, another human being. Is that getting a really bad knockout, out or give him respect?
1: I know, yeah, but you and know, like, what? you think
2: about even like um even like the coroner men and the medics trying to speak and talk to each other, and yeah. that shit blared in the fucking yeah. faces. Like, I would have slapped the face <laughs> but off that Nikki DJ Minaj myself for them <laughs> that night, yeah. little bastard. But besides that, everything was great.
1: But listen, but it, it's it's funny that uh, aside from that that you brought up that fight in particular because that. that that's a fight that was a big talking point in terms of, you know, uh, the idea that Momo was winning that fight for, for four and a half mm. rounds mm. and Steve kept throwing that same spin elbow. and the crowd were, you know, jeering him a little bit because he kept, he wasn't, he was missing, he wasn't landing yeah. at all, do you know what I mean? And then he was getting hit on the back of us and when that happened, it was like, because Mo was confident, he was walking down with his hands down, mm-hmm. he was like, I have this, one yeah. more and then that's it and then like that, it's all over That's what and it's a such it? an uh, like a you know for it's just a, a like life like I just looked at it and I was like if this isn't like you know mm. he, everything just in a circle 360 how life can just absolutely <laughs> like know. floor you Do you know they what I mean it come
2: out of anywhere out of anywhere I love the CRE match there because that was literally one of the most exciting any yeah. kind of fights I've ever seen in life yeah i yeah. I'm totally. I'm delighted yeah. that you think I'd that. I'd love to see that again. I'd love to see that again, yeah. That should be a main event fight. Yeah. Because of that, because yeah. of how good it was.
1: There'd be promoters out there now that be yeah. like, that yes, lovely. <laughs> Let's get that on the cards. Um so talk to me about your own because I know like anyone that has followed you and anyone that knows anything about John Connors, you'll know that your 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 background is in boxing and that you like, you know, you've spoken so openly about how it has benefited you in your life and obviously it's a passion as well. You enjoy watching it and stuff like that um talk to me about you know like would you ever go back to boxing i think we spoke about this like would you ever go right i'm going to dedicate however long time i'm going to go back and i'm going to jump in and start fighting again that's a
2: question i was asking myself for maybe 10 years up until a couple of years ago um i I was supposed to go pro a few times when i was younger and the offer came back around just about two years ago there no way yeah yeah yeah, yeah, i don't want to name him but um he asked me what to do it and I was actually seriously thinking about it but then I was thinking about tying it up with the whole Joe Egan film and kind wow, of
1: this is what I was going to yeah yeah,
2: yeah and just making it a part of like uh, the preparation for that and yeah. maybe have a pro debut and then go and do the Joe Egan role yeah. and then just see what happens uh, the Joe Egan role is getting pushed back another year again this is what happens in films all the time yeah but no, I don't. Now it's just too far gone. Like I've just done too much damage to my body. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like now, mind you, I'm looking at some pros and I'm going, "Oh my god!"
0: Yeah, like uh,
2: I'm technically <laughs> twice as good as any of these. But I, yeah. I don't think I could ever reboot my lungs enough to yeah. be able to do even six rounds no matter how fit I got. To be honest, uh, but I do, I do love it. Um, and it, I did flirt with the idea of just having a debut for the crack and getting all the family out and watching the fight. Mm. Just having a fight, like a fight is a fight. It's man. I love fighting do you know what I mean and I always love fighting and it's, it's not a it's not something I would be getting too hyped about I would, yeah. I would do it for the crack but mm. I'd be serious about it do you know what I mean but, yeah. but I'd have fun with it do you know what I mean It
1: just you strike me the type of person that it, when you set your mind to something you commit to it 100% yeah. well that's what,
2: that's what I'd be afraid of is because of a good acting career going and a, yeah. and a directing career. And if, uh, <laughs> if I taste someone's blood and get a <laughs> win or two, I might just say, fuck all that. And, and then dedicate myself towards a goal I might never get. You know what I mean? And yeah. Listen, when I do something, I want to be the best as well. So, um, I, I, you know, like, what's the odds of me coming now, 29, coming 30, you know, doing anything in a boxing career. But I wouldn't mind a few fights for the crack, yeah. you know.
1: Did it bring you joy when you were doing it?
2: Oh, God, yeah. Jesus mm. Christ, there. Uh, Uh, it transformed me because I got into boxing uh, because I was getting bullied really bad you know and I was getting bullied by traveller kids where I came from and um, I was getting bullied because my father committed suicide and it's getting rubbed in my face I was going to school Mm. I was getting bullied there by settled kids even teachers bullying me calling me knackers and pikey and I was getting that every day and every day I was getting black eyes on top of black eyes and coming home to my mother and she was screaming and crying and literally had to find my way through school on the way home from school in school me and my brother Joe all the way and um, actually I think one of the things that inspired me was watching Rocky mm. I remember watching Rocky and I was like just like Rocky won, and this fella came from nowhere uh, it's still the best Rocky for me because it's the only Rocky that's really about story you can maybe argue that about number 2 the rest of them are action films yeah. the last uh, the, the Rocky Balboa yeah. that was probably the first story one yeah. since cause the 3, 4, 5 were you know, action. Uh, And I loved him, you know what I mean? But that really resonated with me. The idea that uh, all he wanted to do was go the distance Mm. because he'd realized for the first time in his life that he wasn't just another bum. And I remember being a child, seeing that and just getting goosebumps. And I said, I'm going to the fucking boxing club. Yeah. And um, me and two friends of mine uh, who lived in the same lane as me, two Gavins, because I grew up in a lane where there's probably about 1,500 travelers. Yeah. All in like a half of my lane. And it was the best uh, childhood in the world in many ways, with the exception of the bullying. But um, me and Patrick Gavin and Terence Gavin went to the boxing club actually. And uh, we went the first night and we had a real old school trader like Mickey out of Rocky, but a dub, yeah. like from Sheriff Street, you know what I mean? And his name was Bardler, Joe Russell, Bardler,
0: they call him, <laughs> yeah, right? right? And
2: all big boxing families <laughs> and a great coach. But um, he said to me, Patrick and Terence, he said, when we walked in, this is your first night and your last fucking night. Oh, and we were yeah. all right. So we went out for a jog and I was a little faffler. We, <laughs> <laughs> we went out for a jog but I was always determined and I really tried my best and he saw I was trying my best and then we went back to the club and I started doing pads mm. with him and I had messed around a bit with the pads at home with a cousin of mine, an older cousin and uh, I did it with just raw aggression, I suppose, mm. rage and he seen this in me and uh, he said at the end of the night, he said, you two, you, you two can get your coat and fuck off. You can come back Wednesday.
1: No way.
2: And uh, within we hadn't won an All Ireland title maybe in four years at the time. Yeah. And then within six months I'd won a league's title, a Dublin title, a Leinster title, and an All Ireland title. Yeah. And then the year after, then I got the got the same and then a silver medal in the in the Four Nations. And then the year after, I was so annoyed, with that silver came back and got the gold, beating an English fellow in the final, and uh, which was nice. And then I just transformed from someone who was really low self-esteem and getting mm. bullied to someone who was really confident. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So it did wonders for me. And when I got into acting then initially, I always seen everything through the eyes of a fighter, that lens. Like this is a fight, you know what I mean? And, and this is nothing compared mm. to what I had to put my body through because people don't see that side yeah. of things, you know, and especially... Back then, like we didn't know nothing about fucking sports science or any shit like that. Like yeah. you know what I mean? I'd lose two stone nearly in a week. Yeah, you know what I mean. And a be good. bags I, on
1: you. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. The training three
2: times a day. I used to eat. I remember my thing was I'd eat an apple, a can of tuna, and a glass of water. Just what uh, for the last week. That's what that was Jeez. the little one I invented, and I'd be getting on the scale like a fucking heroin addict. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then like I remember the funny thing was I, I weighed in one time for the Dublin final, and uh, I weighed in For 80 kilos on the Sunday, and Monday night, I went to the club and I weighed myself, and I was 86.5, six and a half kilos to put on in 36 hours or something. No way. Because I'd lost so much fluids as well. You know what I mean? And we weren't doing what they do now, even, you know? And so I had a serious advantage when I fought my opponent and on that Wednesday, I think it was about 88 (laughs) kilos. 160
1: getting in there. I was pounding
2: (laughs) him out of it with the body shots. Um, (laughs) But but, I'm
1: wondering in that time, when, when you're saying about like, you know with the coaches and the, the tough love when you go in there and you saying it's going to be your first night it's your first night it's your last night and then for you to get that sort of like nod of acknowledgement or acceptance in that moment where like you can come back how do you feel in those moments you know what I mean especially when you're talking and you've talked so openly about your your dad's um, passing you know mm. what I mean and, and uh, one thing that always resonates with me in jiu-jitsu is that when I get some kind of praise from my coach mm. it's almost like a, a like a father figure like telling me that he's proud of me or I've done well and yeah. it's almost like you know I get emotional over because I'm like shit this is what I need from my own dad and my coach is giving it mm. to me do you know what I mean
2: yeah that was a big thing he became my father figure for me yeah. and that confidence in me and I want to do better for him unfortunately I think a lot of that sort of Methodology now is lost because they 're not mm. going to get away with doing that with kids anymore, yeah, you know what I mean, and give yeah. them sort of tough love, but those trainers they weren 't they were more than trainers, they were community activists, yes, you know, absolutely. and all they wanted from you it did you didn 't have to be the best, you had to just do your best, yeah They realized that not everybody was going to be a champion or going to be great, mm. you know what i mean but if you but if you didn't give your best, fuck off mm. and I, I thought that was a good cut off point, because it shows people you have to you have to want to be better and get better. You know what I mean? Because you're not going to get anything easy. Mm. And uh, it had a massive effect on me. And for years, not even knowing what it was, I wasn't conscious of it. But they the, the, the put a competitiveness in me and and a sense of self-esteem... And a wordiness, all stuff that I was lacking. You know what I mean? And uh, anybody who's been bullied knows that. And uh, even when you lose a parent, you're really young as well. You just you're very vulnerable in general. He became a father figure for me, and learning me so many life lessons along the way, and just learning you, teaching you about life as well, like a philosopher. Yeah. You know what I mean? And how to treat people, and and how to just defend yourself and don't bully people, other people, and don't use that power against them. And basically saying that your fists are a weapon now you know what I mean mm. and don't only use them against the right people you know yeah. so he stopped me from doing a lot of mad shit as well because he lived in Darrendale I lived in Darrendale so he was only living around the corner for me so he'd yeah. be hearing You he
1: could see you yeah. <laughs> so he'd be hearing I'd
2: be up to such and such <laughs> and he'd put me so you you come here you get up to the club you know what I mean and yeah, kick up yeah, to the club yeah. and all that and that was brilliant and to be honest with you without him and the other trainers god knows what the fuck yeah, I would have been up to. Absolutely. and even without boxing um, because I I would have ended up still being a very physically imposing person, and an aggressive person, and I had it naturally in me. Boxing refined all that, but it also refined my mentality. Mm. So I wa- I didn't end up being a real destructive person to other people, you know. Yeah. So that was that was very important, you know.
1: Did you stay in school?
2: I stayed in school. I did well. Primary school. I was. I excelled in primary school,
0: mm.
2: and I did an entries exam into Kolostadulek uh, Secondary School. And I got the highest score in the school's history for an entrance entrance exam. Unreal. My brother was second on that, that that year, and he was the same. He was a year younger than me, but no we way. were in the same year because my mother kept me back say it didn't send me to school, she sent me to school the year after so we could go together and protect each other. amazing, yeah. So I was, when I went into the school, they were expecting a bit of a, a prodigy, all the teachers, because of my test exams and, and it was kind of, you know, the rumour going around about me and blah, blah, blah. And so I was put into the highest class, as they call it, which I still think is a fucked up thing to do to kids for self-esteem. Highest class, second highest, third, fourth, and then the last, and that's what it was. There was five yeah. classes in our school. But um, what happened was I started to get really disinterested with school and looking at my cousins who were going off working with their fathers and making money and being men. Yeah. And I started feeling guilty about going to school. And ironically, tra- especially that time, travellers would look at you, traveller men particularly, would look at you and call you stupid for being in school. Yeah. Now that sounds mad, but yeah. that, that's the way it is. <laughs> and I'd end up just skipping all the time, going to the cinema whenever I could get the chance, to Skip going into the, just sneaking into the cinema and uh, because it was such a competitive gla- class at the highest level, when I'd come back then after me- missing two weeks, I was so lost and out yeah. of be depth. And that kept happening and spiraling. And I'm, I don't know how I managed to still stick in until I started third year and then I said, fuck this shit. I think I had a fight with somebody and they threatened to call police or some shit like that. And I never went back to school. Yeah. I, think, I think they just left me alone. They kept trying before that to get me back all the time, but then they just left me alone. And I, was at f- I was 15... Four months off, my 16th birthday, and you can quit at 16. And then that was it. I ended up joining a fast course in Irondale, a metalwork course, because obviously that's what it was to be a man. Yeah, get uh, to your, light, you know your what I mean?
1: tools and let's go. And,
2: yeah, and I got there, and I fucking hated it. Mm. And I just um, I just played ping pong uh, in the class. <laughs> that's what I did. Every now and again, i do a bit of welding. That was the only thing I liked. And then one day, um, a French... Canadian couple came in one was a clown and one was an actress nice. uh, doing acting classes and uh, I just said yeah just get out of the fucking metalwork class because I fucking hated it and I went up and I'd done this class first time I ever exposed to any sort of creativity um, I'd done a class and I remember uh, a friend of mine John Walsh uh, still a very good friend of mine we grew up together he's a set lad and uh, basically the best footballer to ever come out of Kula could have played for Man United but just went down a different road. But he's grand now, like but yeah. he just in his teens he went a bit mad, you know. And um me and John were very good friends. And John said, let's do this same And John pretended to be my boxer promoter. And I was a boxer. who was getting a world title shot. And it was brilliant. And I remember getting the reaction from everybody. It was like the performance I got from boxing, you yeah. know. And everybody was like, that's fucking brilliant. And the two teachers were like, Jesus, the two of e you are really talented, you know. Yeah. And he said, both of you should be pursuing this. So we did like six weeks of it. And I think at the end of the, the last week, we were to do a performance, a live performance or a little short film. I'm confused. One or the other anyway and uh, I was going up to do it and my class tutor who was the tutor for the metal work said I can't go up because Mary who was like the kind of principal figure of the FOSS won't allow me and I found that very peculiar why would Mary put in and not allow me to go there I said but he was his face sort of went red and I knew straight away he was lying I could always tell a liar always no one can lie to me and I said okay I'm going up and ask Mary then and he said no no, no. I just went up and asked Mary and she said what no not at all I don't know what. what. Don't know what, why he said that so I went back to him, and not going to say his name, but I went back to him and I said, um, what's going on? Mary said, that's a complete lie. and His face just went right again. I said, I'm going up. So I went up, and I was in the middle of doing the live performance when him and Mary came back into the room, and Mary said, John, why did you go up there? He didn't give you permission, right? And I said, what the fuck? And obviously, when you're a kid, and especially me, I was full of rage. How you deal with embarrassment mm. situations like that is rage so I just started roaring like lunatic and I broke the door on the way out and I broke the next door and the windows like the windows of the doors I was smashing them basically put yeah. my hands through them, cutting cut my fucking two fists ripping them apart just lost it and uh, I never went back to Foss and uh, there was sort of vacuum in my life then I suppose because I was starting to mess a bit and down, and then and doing kind of things and not trained the way I used to train in boxing and just Joe mm-hmm. was trying to, me training was looking for me everywhere and I'd maybe show up twice a week and I used to do six days a week, you know what I mean? Yeah. Twice a day coming up to tournaments and now I was doing twice a week maybe, you know what I mean? And and if there was no tournaments going up, I wasn't doing one day a week. I was bloating up and down on weight and, and cutting really hard and, uh, and I, I started getting involved in stuff that I shouldn't be getting involved in and just be, being enticed into uh into into bad stuff. And um eventually what my mother kinda uncovered what I was doing and she uh was broken down over it, you know. Yeah. So she asked me to stop what I was doing and I said, Okay and I agreed to do that and stop what I was doing and I was just another vacuum was left again and then I started getting really badly depressed and beat myself up with shame and guilt and all them Sort of things that still follow me now, every shame, guilt, these sort of things, they internalize shame. And it's good because I'm aware of it because yeah. you can work at yourself. But it's still things that never go away. And that voice, that voice of doubt that you're no good, you're not worth nothing. Mm. That's there all the time with me. And it just depends on whether what my routine is as to how loud that voice will be. So if my routine is I'm exercising, eating well, I'm creating, I'm writing all the time. Well, then that voice is just a whisper. But then, if I'm drinking and I'm messing and and, and, and I'm uh, like shutting people out of my life, then that voice is like a roar. Yeah. And then what happens? Then you try to null it even further mm-hmm. with all the bad stuff, yeah. which makes it go louder and louder and louder. Because human beings are just paradoxical like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, you know? absolutely.
2: So that was uh, that was the teens, well, you basically. You know,
1: you say all this. You know, uh, you're 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 talking to like your your life and your childhood and your teens there. You know what I mean? And and then you're saying, I have all this rage and 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 this the, you know the kind of mental health aspect of it, and I'm sitting here listening going of course you do like Mm. look what you've been through in your Mm. life do you know what I mean Mm. even in that situation with the the, with do you know what I mean like I instantly you're telling that story and I'm like do they not even stop to consider what you've been through as a child in Mm. losing your dad
2: well you know the ironic thing is I I kind of analyzed the tutor who did that and uh, I found out a bit more about him and he was just from the same sort of situation as well actually he was bullied as a child and as a result, he had low no self esteem. Mm. And of course, then I wasn't showing interest in what he was teaching me, yeah. which made f- him feel inferior.
1: Mm. And then his
2: way of lashing out then was stopping me from going there because he was jealous. Absolutely. And we have to understand that we're all connected with trauma, no matter what background you come yes. from. Yes. And uh, we don't know what kind of day someone's had. We don't know what kind of life someone's had. Because mm-hmm. people are great at putting on poker faces. Everybody's an actor. Mm. The people always go acting, acting. Everyone's an actor because you're going to act very different yeah. with your mother than you are with John Connor's hair now mm. or with Shane hair now with us or yeah. someone down the street you meet or someone you go on mm. a pint with or jujitsu with your trainer, your coach. There's no difference. Yeah. Only that I know I'm conscious of it all the time. That's yeah. And that's where performance comes in. But people, you act because that's survival instinct. You yeah. would have happened to do that going back in hunter-gatherer times and act quite... You know, and act like you've no fear so the animal doesn't attack you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? This is the sort of thing that is ingrained in our psyches, you know? So I just figured out that fella, that was his background. And I actually see him now and we have good chats and whatever, you know? You have to, you have, to have empathy for people and understand where they're coming from too.
1: Are you aware of how massively intelligent you are?
2: Um, well you see with me it's I'm I have a lot of knowledge about stuff that I like yeah. <laughs> and I'm brilliant right. I'm brilliant at um,
1: I'm, um, I'm wondering how you acquired this intelligence for someone who <coughs> left you know uh, school mm. and after junior science I'm like you're lit, hands down one of the most intelligent people I know well, and you know you as, as soon as you speak to you and um, not only just words but you're just grand knowledge of like life and yeah. the universe well, I know? suppose
2: knowledge intelligence maybe all maybe wisdom they're all kind of different things I've a little bits of each um, sometimes, um, sometimes intelligence can be inherited. Yep. My father was n- was nicknamed the professor, uh, nice, and okay. usually people with mental illnesses are higher on the intelligence or the IQ marker. Anyway, mm-hmm. people with schizophrenia are usually pretty high IQ. He was schizophrenic. That's what
1: your dad was diagnosed with. Right? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So he was schizophrenic. Um, and he was known as the professor. He was so intelligent, actually, that he was almost kind of alienated from people and isolated a bit, especially, you know, coming from his community. And he was talking about stuff that maybe other travel men wouldn't talk about, yeah. you know, and the obscure thoughts. And uh, like having really, really complicated uh, conversations with me when I was only a child, five and six, you mm. know what I mean? Talking about the world and everything in it. And, um, and he'd had me reading when I was like two and three reading newspapers and stuff, you know what I mean? And get, yeah. I, I could read before I could go to school. My brother Joe was the same as well, because he that's what he believed in. And he showed us kind of that way. And yeah. um, it was just that side of the family. Like my mother always says, you get the brains from, from your father, you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, but maybe I get the empathy from her, you know, yeah. not that he wasn't empathetic either, you know, but you just sort of I, I definitely was born with a facility to learn. Mm. You know what I mean? That's and I just constantly love learning. Like my biggest addiction is that.
0: Yeah. And the healthiest
2: one I have is constantly get like um, goblin information. I love taking in mm-hmm. information and I love learning from people. Like my business partner, Cluster Fox Films, Tiernan Williams, he's a psychotherapist, a psychologist and a cognitive scientist. Brilliant. And first we worked together. I was a support worker in a program he was a manager for and we working work with young lads. And I literally, with the workshops he was doing with the young lads, I was siphoning these workshops. I was the quietest in it and just taking it all in. And so much I've learned from him. Oh my, I was just joking with him last night on the balcony. We were doing, up doing uh, applications late at night. And I was saying, Tyrone, thank you so much for paying for your education. <laughs> because you paid for for both of <laughs> us. Because he's looking at me going, what have I created? Because yeah. I'm taking in everything that he, that he has to learn. Because if you have a, an understanding of psych- psychology, and how the mind works, Yeah, you have an understanding of absolutely everything. Absolutely. I think that's the best basis to have that. Yeah. Um, so I just love learning. Like I get excited about learning the history and culture and things yeah. like that really fascinate me, to be honest.
1: I mean, obviously like acting, directing, creating is your thing, but did you ever consider going into a kind of a, a, like a professing, teaching role, you know, or is that something that down the line? Because no. do you not do it a little bit in acting, your workshops and stuff like oh, that? Yeah. Would you do like a little... You yeah. lay the knowledge, you know.
2: I, d- I do the whole acting workshops thing and I do mental health talks and I. but I do them, t- I don't need, like I don't need, um, see what education, what actually going forward in college maybe getting a master's degree or whatever, what that would do for me would be get getting a cert but you see I don't need that cert because we're not going to go down that road. Yes. I'm just about acquire knowledge that helps me in my life that might affect my little circle around me mm. and like a result of that is like some of my family rela- relationships have gotten really uh, a lot better the last few years mm. because I've learned to look at my own flaws and become self-reflective Yeah, you know like uh, me and my brother were having kind of a bad relationship for a few years and I'm a father figure to him six, seven years older than him and um, I would have been I would have been blaming him on a lot of uh, the, the conflict between me and him and the, fa- and the family Yeah, and through learning with Tiernan and doing workshops and looking at family dyna- dynamics because people are all about patterns people are actually very predictable all people um, I started to analyse myself and how uh, and how I was speaking to him and how I was addressing him. And I said, fuck's sake, I'm actually a big part to play player here now and I'm trying to put it all on him and that's not fair either.
0: Yeah.
2: And I went, well, what's important to me? Well, and what's important to me is to get along with my brother who I love with all my heart. He's my little brother. And for all of us to get along as a family unit, my mother, and all of us to respect my mother and that's the most important thing. So I literally just approached him uh, and I said, look, I've been blaming you for all this stuff. I'm every bit to play here too I'm as, as guilty as you um, for now on, and can we just be assertive with each other as opposed to shouting at each other mm. listen to each other and what our grievances are with each other and be civilised about this and talk it through and our relationship has gotten way better because of it you know but we always had a sort of loving relation me and my brothers were like that like <laughs> It, it's still not perfect like I remember last year me and Well him, I told
1: your brother Paki last night that you were coming on the show yeah. and he was like ah he's got nothing good to say <laughs> don't worry about
0: it
2: me and him had a fight <laughs> uh, had a fight about a year ago and we <laughs> it was about no it was about 18 months ago two years ago maybe and we were rolling around the ground together in the camp pass me, pass and we were punching the heads off each other right because he's an animal pack, He can yeah. fight like and he's yeah. tough as nails tough as nails I was out of breath and he was out of breath and me family are trying to separate us you know yeah. and um and he just goes and this will tell you what kind of family we are with brothers because like, other people they argue or fight and they don't talk for 10 years we don't allow that ever, ever in the middle of the argument he just turns to me and goes I love you brother and, <laughs> <laughs> and I went I love you too brother and then my uncles were like you fucking crazy Connors bastards because <laughs> yeah. my uncles on the ward side but the Connors were like that All oh, my father and his brothers they were very loving to each other and their siblings and if they had a fight it was squashed they wouldn't yeah. allow it to go to the end of the day you know what I mean yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's the, w- that's the way we do things so like acquiring knowledge helps you in your life so that's why I do it because it just helps you in life in every area and then with art everything like that informs my art and what I want to say about the world and you're constantly evolving if you're the same as what you are when you're 20 you're fucked that's my opinion well
1: self-awareness is a massive part of evolving yourself do you know Mm. what I mean Like, and it seems like you just kind of clicked instantly and you knew what you needed to do to Fix the relationships that are in your life, you know, which is the biggest step. But the hardest part is admitting, looking at yourself and going, "Okay, well, maybe I have a small part to play in this and and communicating with
2: Recognizing your ego as well. That's a very important thing. Mm. And I, I was totally buying into my own ego. Like I have this moral superiority here with my brother. Yeah uh, And then that was Reflecting on the way We behaved with each other mm. uh, Because we need to Control our ego our Ego is our worst enemy Like our Absolutely. ego Can destroy us In every single way And especially for me As an artist That you can't Allow the ego To drive you You know what I mean You have to Reckon uh, Like I have to Constantly check my ego Even though I never mm. you, The way I speak And the way you hear me speak You will you would never go he's really egotistical but in my brain what I'm thinking I'm questioning Mm -hmm. my thoughts and I'm going hmm is that coming from a place of ego
1: give me an example of how it shows up for you
2: well, it depends. If someone approaches me in a certain way and how I might behave or how I might think I'm going to behave, I'm going to go, why am I, I, I going to do that? Is it because I'm, I'm egotistical here or why? You know, yeah. Or is it because I'm pissed off? Or So I question the way I'm about to behave or a move that I'm thinking of. I question my thoughts all the time, constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that drives you a bit of bananas. Sometimes it <laughs> turns into anxiety. But I'm trying to figure out what my motivations are. Yeah. So where's the mo- is it coming from a, a good place? Is it coming from a justified place or is it coming from a place of ego? So that's what I constantly try to check myself because I'm trying to essentially remove the ego. Now, egos are important in certain scenarios. And like an ego has helped me in in ways where I have been in fearful situations or nervous situations in terms of performance, Mm -hmm. maybe, or not getting up for something. And I use my ego. And I tell myself I'm great, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the ego then gets me through a tough time. So it's useful for that, but for the most part, it's really useless and it's not productive for you, your life, or, or you know, relationships yeah. you're gonna have, you know.
1: Very interesting. What I wanted to ask you about is when I was listening, anytime I listen to you any of your interviews or hear you speak, you always talk so sweetly about your mom. And I wanted to ask you about the importance that she plays in your life. I mean, because she <coughs> seems to me that you got this massive amount of, as you say, empathy mm. and warmth and just, you know, a kind of a, a lust for life, I suppose, from your mum.
2: Yeah, like my mother's just went to hell, basically, mm. raising three boys uh, in a travel side on a lane with 1,500 travellers in a machoistic culture. And I don't mean that in a negative sense that... Uh, men drive our culture because that's not true either. But I'm saying she was rare in three kids, who were boys, who were growing into a male, a male side of the culture, the machismo. She knew nothing about, mm-hmm. and just the struggles. And she's so brave. My mother's so brave. Like even fighting wise, like like yeah. she be she was nicknamed Kate LaMotta <laughs> No way. By, by a cousin of mine, Mel. Uh, Lord, of Mercy, and Mel died 80 months ago. he's my first cousin, uh, and his brother just died a few weeks back. Um, which is really tough for us because you know you know people settle people here. Your cousin died. That's no big deal. But with us, we're all brought up with each other. It's like losing yeah. a sibling, you know that kind of, of way.
1: Course, yeah. And poor
2: Mel, he nicknamed her Kate Lamotta, me aunt Kate, Kate Lamotta. You know, because she'd always go out and fight if she had to. You know, no matter what, yeah. and she'd take a. Beating. Actually, like they yeah. have a knock. Like oh, actually fight, actually no fight. Yeah, way. women. But well, this yeah. is
1: not the interpretation of your mother I that know, I have in my mind. I know, I
2: know, but say there was arguments <laughs> going on. Like, say she would volunteer if she had to. Like one of her sisters being cowardly, and she said, "Well, I'll do it then." No. And oh, right. she just didn't care because she was just fearless, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. But she's very gentle in her own, very gentle. Uh, and very quiet. and very shy. But um, she, ha- she just, she's brave because yeah. she's faced things that are far more traumatic mm-hmm. than a fight, than a few scrapes, you know. She has a few scrapes, you know. So she just, she did everything she could for us growing up all the way and always tried to get a little extra job on the side to get us the right presence that we wanted Mm. and 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 try their best to scrape up money on a sunday to send us to the cinema we didn't always get there on a sunday but most sundays we get there and she just did her absolute best to 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 help us thrive in a situation that was you know very hard to thrive Mm. in Um, and always been there and always only wanting the best always only wanting the exact best for you and Mm. putting you before her she always did that. She put yeah. us before herself. It's funny
1: she's totally you only selfish. get that from a mother, right? So yeah, no absolutely. one else will get that absolutely. from
2: nobody absolutely. else. Absolutely. Yeah. So she's been the main figure. Like I have so many important figures in my life, but there's no one more important than my mother. There's no one I want to have a better life more than my mother or comfort or luxury or and I do absolutely everything I can for my my mother like she's a deep motivation for me when I might be gone off the deep end or whatever. I think of my mother and how it's mm. gonna affect her. So yeah. I always put, I always try to put her Feelings above mine because she's always done that for me now and she's getting to the age where she doesn't need to be caring about you know worrying about me doing whatever Mm -hmm. or getting in trouble or anything like that you know I need to at least remove that anxiety from Mm -hmm. her and try to instill some luxury for her which I have been doing and I continue doing and and hopefully do more of absolutely
1: you have an aura when you meet you of a protector you have that kind of thing that you're very protective of the people that you love and, and the things that you love does that come from you know your mom basically being like because you're the eldest right yeah do you think that it comes from
0: yeah
2: your I always had life? I always had a responsibility I suppose uh, with me two brothers because I was the eldest brother you know unfortunately I wasn't able to protect my brother Joe to say the way I would have been able to affect Packy because Joe was only a year, year younger so we sort of experienced the same bullying Packy wouldn't have been bullied growing up and we <laughs> me and Joe sort of. Um, Talk about like how you rear someone like and not that I exclusively reared Parky, it didn't mean my mother did but we played a big part me and Joe, but we always taught Parky to be tough and I always taught Parky to never back down from anybody mm. uh, because my father taught me that yeah. he, taught, he told me uh, you're better off being dead than backing down and mm. that's a, like a line that rings through my head and it's the thing that the reason why I can never back down from anything whether it's a fight or it's a twitter row <laughs> or anything you know what I mean so um, yeah.
1: so with packy
2: we we sort of instilled that and so <laughs> packy was always able to take care of himself yeah. and no one say of us, no one older would have ever tried to bully packy because of me and me brother joe mm. they know we just we we will die on our sword that's the way yeah. we are and my mother was very like that my father was very like that and i suppose now like like i feel like if it's family, I will literally die for them. Yeah. I will literally die if it's me brothers, or me mother, or some of so my cousins and uncles, and I will die for them. my mother, I will literally kill an army for her, or he'll have to kill me. Yeah. And I've d- I've done i like I've done things like my mother was going out with a fella who she got engaged with, who uh, beat her really bad, mm. really bad, left her unconscious. And uh, uh, let's just say he will never do that any- ever again to a woman. Um, yeah. And I was very lucky not to go to prison for it. This mm. is when I, was, when I was a teenager. And if someone ever touched my mother, I've no problem taking her life. Just straight up taking her yeah. life. Literally, I just, I'd kill them stone dead mm. if they hurt my mother in any way. So um, how, how
1: has the relationship between your mom evolved from that moment? Do you know what I mean? Because that's, that's obviously a very difficult thing for her as well. One, that her, her children know that she's after experiencing in that situation. And then to, you know, like how, how has the relationship evolved from then? I mean, no doubt she's, you know... Grateful that she has you in her life, mm. you know what I mean. No doubt.
2: Yeah, well, I suppose her biggest worry about that whole scenario was that if what's going to happen
1: to my son? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. you to
2: get locked up or whatever, yeah. you know, that kind of way. But obviously, it was traumatic for what happened to her, and and buying into a relationship where she had feelings with someone for to turn around and treat her like that. Yeah. Um. So no doubt it was it's def it was definitely traumatic for her. All we can do is just stay close to each other, like and protect each other. That's we're a very close family unit, and even outside of that, cousins and all. Because like, if I'm in trouble tomorrow, uh, without exaggeration, I've forty cousins at my doorstep the next morning yeah. saying, "What's or did th- that day?" And the thing is, with those drivers, we don't ring each other. You know what I mean? You have to land down. So yeah,
1: land down.
2: Yeah, land down. That's what, is what that we going say.
1: to the camp? Like yeah. yeah out, you, have oh, never heard that you have to land down, and you have to kind of show
2: your loyalty. You know that kind yeah. of way, or or you won't get the loyalty back. And where's right. are all close, close knit like that. Like I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. I just probably shouldn't tell this story.
1: Go on and tell it.
2: Uh, I'll tell it. Fuck it. It's years ago, right? <laughs> um, but I'll try to, I'll try to, I'll try to let me see sanitize it in some way. <laughs> no, I um, want the phone
1: on I'll, Ed's I'll, version. I'll, I'll, give I'll stri- me the, I'll, give me the hits.
2: I'll, I'll strip away the identities at least, anyway. But uh, <laughs> I was a teenager at this time, and um, a young cousin of mine. He was 14 years of age, and he. Uh, uh, he he pissed up against the wall when he was drunk, and it was yeah. probably his first beer he ever had. And he was caught in the act by someone, someone who lived around the corner, someone who was a gangster. Right. And the gangster gave him a few slaps. And uh, my cousin said nothing about it. But a couple of weeks later, my cousin was walking through Darndale with uh, my brother, Packy, and Packy was fourteen as well. Now. He wasn't a regular fourteen-year-old. <laughs> like <laughs> this is a fourteen-year-old who would fight an army, like, and yeah. doesn't care. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Just doesn't care. So your man thought he could come back up and bully me cousin, but Packy was there. Packy said, "What the fuck? I'll give you a punch the face off you." And your man got a bit afraid. But he called his friends, and about seven or eight of them gathered together and got weapons and chased me, me cousin, and me brother Packy. Now I was in the home watching the Discovery Channel, right? <laughs> watching a lion eating fucking a cheetah or some <laughs> shit and my brother Paggy comes in and this is years ago for the audience at home with people probably writing about this now John Connors started I got into a fight <laughs> but um, I was a teenager but he comes in to me and he goes John oh John oh we they getting chased by such and such what the fuck they're trying to kill us blah 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 so I picked up a weapon I'm not going to say what weapon it was but I picked up a weapon and had me it was a hatchet a hat. <laughs> the hatchet was my specialty I had it under my pillow and um, I went over to the camp where my family was and we all sort of gathered together and eight of us gathered together and um i was 17 and there was maybe two adults that's it no one else in the camp everybody's off working and uh five five of the the, the other five were kids so like yeah. 16 12 to 16 right so there was only eight nine of us and two adults or whatever right so eight nine of us all together including two adults so we went over to this so-called gangster's house and there was about 10 of them in the garden and they all had knives and we Begged them to come out And just said Listen let's have a war We love having wars Let's do this Let's do this now If you want to have a war Let's have a war yeah. And uh, they wouldn't do it And we went You have us outnumbered You're all adults You all have knives Like if you're going to bully people Let's try to bully people then Come on let's yeah. do it then Right Said no <laughs> So this is an example of How we kind of all get together And stick together So we went back to the lane And we're on the lane And we're all chatting away Oh do you think something's Going to come from this Because these are all big heavy heads Like big gangsters Yeah And And uh, we looked over <laughs> we looked over and there was about 50 fellas coming coming towards us uh, across the field walking onto our lane and I turned around to my cousins and uh, my elders and that only two elders and two uncles uh, no an older cousin and an older uncle and I said look we have absolutely no choice but to meet them in the field we can't allow them to land on the lane we have to meet them in the field and he said okay and <laughs> at one old cousin um, who what? Let's just say he wasn't the bravest God help him. And he says, "I he says, I've uh, I've the mind there. I've the I've the mind me child." He said. <laughs> but it was yeah, it was a funny, it was a funny old fellow, you know. Uh, I've the mind me child boys. I can't, I can't, I can't go with you. So we went out to the field, and there was like eight, nine of us in the end of it, and there was about fifty of them. Loads of them had weapons, and. Uh, I, another one of my uncle came out of the blue and he kind of went in the middle and he had a little back and forward with the leader the other trying to squash the whole thing before people got hurt
1: right okay. Yeah. okay
2: but in the meantime we're arguing with them you know what I mean the same people we're just having a conflict with and they're shouting and we're all shouting back and forward at each other and one of them then called you fucking pikey's bastard and this was the main fella and uh, he was part of uh, let's just say he was part of a uh, he was part of a, an organisation uh, of some type and anyway He shouted that and I lost a head. I literally lost a head and I ran into the crowd of them myself. But it shows you the difference between people who have courage and who don't. And people who are involved in that sort of life because they're, they're all good with guns and stuff when it yeah. comes down to fighting it's different yeah. they're good yeah. they can shoot people alright yeah but that's a coward who does that mm. you know because yeah. I went into them and the they all start spreading and all my little kid cousins and my uncle he's we,
1: swinging a hatchet at this thing no
2: no the, the, the hatchet was gone actually oh, right, okay, Yeah, yeah. Right, right. because we were worried the guards were going to come so we threw the weapons <laughs> but, like, but, look, but a good few of them had baseball bats but we went in and we just started knocking them out like pins and all my little cousins only 12 and 13 and all and they were knocking them out and we drove the whole lot of them 50 of them into a cul-de-sac and then the guard Guards came, and the guards came from uh, literally every guard station in Dublin, uh, going out to Ashburn, which is mead, and um, and we ran all these so-called gangsters. But they were gangsters. We ran them all into the cul-de-sac, literally just because we were willing to die with each other, yeah. and there was a confidence in the group. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And we were able to just stand with each other no matter what, without fear you yeah. have to just look out for each other and that's the way we were reared and we had that organisation whereas they all just sort of were disloyal to each other and just every man for himself and taken off yeah. if I, I not get a box you know what I mean like one of them take a box or one of them would see a box and they'd run yeah, so yeah, we yeah. basically slaughtered them just through the loyalty of ours and my cousin who didn't come out and help us he, he said man it was so sick man it was like it was like the Scottish against the English in <laughs> <and>
1: Braveheart <laughs> I swear to God yeah. uh, you're telling this story yeah, and yeah. all I can see is yeah, Mel Gibson in Braveheart was. Like
2: literally. you know what? I'm lucky, I'm lucky. This was like before them. just <laughs> before before the the Instagrams of the iPhones because that would have went viral like. That would've went viral like. Went viral, like and I would have never anyway the story's told now it's out there you can write about it, Gun. Uh,
1: thank you for the exclusive yeah, but, but we grew but listen, we're in brought those, up with in that those, In thing. those moments, mm. like for me, listen, that like oh that's so far removed from like anything that I I was never in a fight in my life. Yeah. First, the first time I fought was when I started Jiu Jitsu, do you know mm. what I mean? But in those moments are you even thinking about what can happen or is it just your adrenaline is going and you're just you just uh, anybody fight who flight? fights no
2: yeah it's fight or flight yeah it's fight or flight and listen everybody has their own breaking point yeah and uh, particularly back then I wouldn't have been able to control my rage so when he said you fucking pikey that was I saw red yeah. and I ran towards him I didn't mm. even care about everybody else it was just I was going to attack him and I knocked yeah. him straight out unconscious and then my cousins just came in all oh, kids but we were just brought up like that like we have to that the saying we have is you die with each other you yeah. die with each other. And you have to tell people that you're, who you're willing to die with. You mm-hmm. tell them, I'm willing to die with you. You know what I mean? Like, that's our thing. So as long as we're all together, we're grand. <coughs> um, it was a successful situation. The guards came in and they gave us a few raps over the head because we were louder than them by that point. But uh, in actuality, actually, the guards favoured us more because they, th- they were going around telling us all Kulak's gangsters are beaten up by, like, a load yeah. of kids you know what I mean the vigilantes of Kulak here you are John Connors and Co so so we were we were literally never bothered ever again in Barndale or Kulak or anything like that never bothered by any gangsters or so called heads but that's the reality it is when you live with a place like that see what happens is there are people who control them areas Mm. and uh, they control it with an iron fist and everyone is afraid of them yeah. but then you see sometimes they're met with resistance so we're brought up to always resist that's just the way we're brought up we're not, and we're not brought up to attack first but we will resist mm-hmm. so if you're going to give us resistance you're gonna get, if you're going to attack us you're going to get resistance and yeah. that's what it was and they're used to people bending over to, oh I'm sorry or ta- coming in taxing somebody and going you pay me five grand for that argument or whatever yeah. well God help them mm-hmm. if you try to do that to us you yeah. know what I mean so that, that's we live and die with each other and do you that, ever
1: get settled people coming in being like here we need your help here um
2: Well, like I've backed up loads of my settle friends throughout the years, yes, because yeah. I was brought up in Darndale, i love loads of settle friends. Like my two best friends are settle friends. You yeah. know what I mean? So I've backed up. People are people to me. People I love are people I love. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'll always die with people I love. Now, nowadays there's no hatchet swinging there's no <laughs>
0: none
1: of that. I tried to
2: I tried to deal with things in a more intellectual sense
1: go <laughs> well, there's I, uh, a hatchet on that table there yeah. just <laughs> in
2: case <laughs> but I'm still I'm still capable of violence but listen
1: there is a romanticism in that 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 like you know that in you know in the travelling community to, to say to someone like I'm willing to die for you Yeah. do you know what I mean like I I definitely know that there's only a handful of people in my life yeah. that I die for do you know what I mean so yeah. when you're faced with that there uh, like there is a sort of romanticism well, in it, it you know but
2: this is where you know this is where people get get confused with travellers where they say you know accuse traveller gangs or whatever they're not gangs they're families
1: yes <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> like they're not there's no organisation here like there's not they, these are a family mm. and you'll die for family you'll die for blood you know like and even things with travellers like say if I can go to the shop I could be going to the shop at 11 o'clock at night I'll bring four or five of my cousins and say, do you want to go out to the shop? Yeah. We all move in groups. That's the way we do it. Yeah. The, the girls all go with the girls. The boys all go with the boys. we go in groups. And this is the way we're brought up, growing, going in groups. And then that's why there's intimidation and people just see us and they have fear. Oh, there's about 10 of them. It's just yeah. the way we go. Because we've always traveled like that. We've traveled around the length yeah. and breadth of Ireland in yeah. groups. Yeah. And it's ingrained in our DNA, you know? Yeah. And it's always about backup because we are a defensive culture in that our culture has been you know, uh, there's been an attempt to absolutely destroy us and obliterate us. The assimilation policies of of the 60s and uh, Charlie High talking about the final solution to the itinerant problem, you know. Mm. So, I mean, we've had to be defensive in order to exist, just exist, because yeah. he wanted it to absorb us into the settled community Yeah, you know what I mean so we've had no choice but to be defensive and get together and group together you know what I mean and it's it's a defence mechanism
1: Absolutely, you're stronger together you know absolutely what is um, your favourite thing about your culture what do, what do you treasure it, most about it's it it's exactly
2: that it's family the way we come mm-hmm. together because I've yeah. never like <clears throat> I see it like when people I see settled people sometimes like uh, and this is not all some settled people have really close families but you know like talking about an aunt or an uncle like they're someone you they did not really know or or a cousin like someone you don't really know that's alien to me or not knowing their family lineage that's a really weird one like because I can go back 300 years on one yeah, side yeah, you know yeah, yeah, and yeah. At the minimum I go back is 100 years on one and on, and on me all my grandparents lines like the McCartys the Dunahous the Wards Connors that's my four grandparents and um I go back the minimum f- 100 years with one of them and then further with all the rest of them. I can go back to 1798 with the wards. So these sort of things like uh, are very important. Families are very important. Lineage, our history, our culture are very important. So when I see people that kind of don't have that, it's just sort of peculiar to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And are, are sort of loyal to e- loyalty to each other, the worst thing you can do, the, the worst way of hurting me is be disloyal to me the worst thing mm. ever and if you're disloyal you're gone forever there's no not. there's no conflict about it it's just over goodbye forever you know mm. what I mean so loyalty is huge you know and yeah. then we have our own we have our own ways we have our own sort of sense of humour we have our own language yeah. you know and it's like like tra- tra- travellers when they meet each other when a traveller meets a traveller whether it's a man meeting a woman a woman a man or any way at all across and we're all we're all storytellers Yes, we'll yeah, 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 so we all just tell stories to each other immediately mm. so it's, when I say I could be on the lane smoking a fag outside mine and just looking out and my uncle could pull up I wait and tell you I met a man down the road <laughs> blah, 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 blah. and this turns into a ten minute story and I'm trying yeah. to interject and tell my story yeah. and like only in the last few years I'm able to even objectively see that because that's just the way I was brought up mm. but you know the more when you mix with settled people you, it's kind of not that, that's not what it is so you go oh shit they, they talk differently to each other the way yeah. we talk you know what I mean for years I just thought everybody was like that you know what I mean Yeah. so that's the way and just our sense Humor and we' humour it's very, very
1: endearing quality though isn't it to mm. be like storyteller especially like with, with, you know ir- being Irish yeah, that's sort of like our thing as well as like, yeah. a storyteller
2: and also like the PC culture like travellers like most travellers alive don't even know what PC culture means yeah. they don't even know what it means Yeah, which I love you mm. know what I mean because tra- the travellers don't help. <laughs> they'll never be PC yeah. you know what I mean so I love that especially in the world we live in now where you can get in trouble for saying anything like, uh, because, like, you know a lot of things I got in trouble for, like my family would go, what, what's what's wrong with that? Yeah. That's just the way we speak, like. You know what I mean? We're not worried, you know, you're not trying to offend people deliberately or there's never malice in it, but, there's constant sort of language police now there so I love the way our culture is is against that we're anti peace. and you're
1: so uh, you know uh, you know outspoken and you speak so freely about all uh, you know things that you agree with and things that you don't agree with whether it be politics whether it be the repeal project mm-hmm. which I definitely respected your your stance on when we got the abortion referendum I voted yes yeah. you voted no yeah. and that's fucking cool I know but you know say, I mean?
2: here's the thing with that is that we're that can't that's not possible anymore now yeah, having a, having a diverse opinion. Well, you with spoke
1: something. so eloquently on it, yeah. and you gave your you gave a rational yeah. opinion of why you did not yeah, think. Yeah,
2: but that's not that's not good enough anymore. It's if you're not with the the popular ideology. Like put it this way, right? Yeah. Nowadays, if you're some, if you are not, especially on, and let's and especially in the Twitter world, which is not even the real world, and people need to always remember that. Yeah. If you're getting a hard time in Twitter, that's not the real world.
0: Mm. These
2: are people who have no courage who are behind a keyboard or their phone yes. and they're just going to uh, dump garbage on you to make you feel bad about yourself. Mm. Don't allow these people to get in. That's what I say but I've had to block all notifications now so I don't even know what's going on in the Twitter world. Mm. Only if someone follows me and they tweet me directly I get it. Yeah. And I've had to do that. <coughs> just for me the, 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 the hassle of my own yeah, thing. Yeah, you know
1: mental health.
2: But um, with the n- if you're not if the thing about the and I would have always considered myself a lefty but the thing about the left now is that if you don't literally hit every single stance on the left, you're alt-right, you're Mm -hmm. a Nazi. If you don't, if you literally don't hit every single, and then the left are changing massively because the left will always say anti-EU because if you're a lefty or you're a socialist, you're for national sovereignty of your country. And the European Union are against national sovereignty, they control a lot of our laws, but now they're all pro-EU and then they're meant to be liberal. And to be liberal is to be free. Um, and to and to allow freedom of speech and mm-hmm. freedom of expression and um, freedom of religion and now the left are against all those things and they're all about this thing called hate speech yeah. um, which I think is absolute craziness like is speech hateful? Yeah, of course speech can be hateful it shouldn't be illegal like it doesn't matter the only speech that should be illegal which is illi- is, is illegal is speech that incites violence that's yeah. already illegal in every western country there is but if someone is saying something whether it be look I hate being called a pikey and a knacker yeah. hate that right annoys me I want to punch someone in the face and they say it to me I don't want those words to be illegal Yeah, no way because guess what that person is still going to have them feelings and then mm-hmm. them feelings are going to manifest in other things if they're not allowed to say it where does that go and mm-hmm. what happens is you start to then create martyrs of people. Like what's happening now with Gemma O'Doherty? Do you know Gemma yes, O'Doherty? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd like to actually talk about Gemma O'Doherty for a minute because Gemma O'Doherty went for president and I endorsed her mm-hmm. before I heard all her bad views. But she was running on an anti-corruption stance, which I think is our biggest problem in this country. Mm-hmm. And our problem with corruption affects all our institutions and our government and runs through our whole country because yes. we're a tiny little country of corruption, you know, mm-hmm. and cronyism. And I talk about that in my play. You were there. Yeah. So she's going on the anti and I said yeah I'll give her my punt like, yes. even against the Sinn Féin candidate and I'm I was usually a shinner not anymore but I said I'll give her a punt because she, she recognises this corruption problem we have now since she went bananas I didn't see a lot of it because again I only get notifications because there's a lot of it to the Twitter world yeah. I only get notifications if someone directly tweets me and I follow them you know mm-hmm. so I start seeing all this mad shit she's posting I'm hearing people saying certain things about it but I have to kind of see it for from coming from her before I condemn it you know what I mean yeah and um people calling her nazi and far right and uh so i see a photo that she done um and it's a photo of a bunch of kids in longford and kids who are of different color and stuff and going modern ireland and blah blah blah, implying that the like ireland's being destroyed yeah and i have to admit i was fucking enraged at that Mm -hmm. that was absolutely disgusting I, i know i quoted and retweeted it and or I didn't actually I tweeted about it because I didn't want to retweet it because there are kids in the fucking photo Yeah. and if that was my kid in that I would actually kill her yeah, absolutely. to be honest with you and, and it's actually
1: been uh, hundreds of thousands of retweets yeah, and imagine, all that. imagine
2: in parents like how angry they are that their yeah. children is all over fucking Twitter mm. so that fucking annoyed the shit out of me but the problem is she's outside she's outside fighting in Google yeah. for freedom of speech which was usually a liberal uh, ideology mm-hmm. it was usually like the liberal now the right have hijacked free speech and it's now the it's it's their bastion of hope, and the left are fighting against free, freedom of speech. Now what's happening is this is just factual. Now look at it; it's like feeding the big bad monster. It's like the Trump thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which I think Trump is still vilified more than when he actually is because we're living in a world of where we sensationalize everything. But yeah, I would have never supported him. But the problem is now with Channel authorities, she's getting more and more famous. Mm. Her following one is going bigger and bigger. She's becoming the figure of what they're calling the alt-right or far right. Yeah. Um, and it's all down to the left's protests mm. and constant tweeting about her And they're feeding the big bad monster. Because they're actually fighting against an ideology that they should be for, which is freedom of speech. Let her say what she wants. Let's hear that. Because if we don't hear it, yeah. what's going to happen is they're going to create more. They're moving people to the right.
1: Absolutely. They're red yeah. pilling
2: people constantly. That's what's happening. Yes, we're seeing it all yeah. across the world, and now it's happening in Ireland. it's being replicated in mm-hmm. Ireland. So, so the left have been really frustrating to me. And when I came out with my stance on abortion, um, I had people with repeal tops on, and Twitter bios calling themselves a human rights activist telling mm-hmm. me. Uh, I hope it passes So traveller children Can be aborted So we can have less travellers In the world Jesus People sending me Death threats I couldn't sign in To be Twitter or Facebook There were so many notifications Of just constant Hate 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 um, And I was like My god This is meant to be The tolerant left and the left are not tolerant anymore and that's that's the thing so if you fall out in one position then you're gone and that's the way it's been and it's harmed my career I've lost gigs over it. I've lost films over it. my two biggest roles ever that I was ever cast in I lost both of them over this yeah it would have been huge money uh, but is it not those. a
1: massive Contradiction When people are saying Like we want to have And again I voted for yes yeah. Right You know no,
2: that's fu- All my friends did Do you know what I mean Like <laughs> I voted maybe, for yes Maybe but one Like one uh, friend Do you know what I mean yeah. I, I
1: voted for yes And I, I have my views On what I wanted to be yes But I also am able To sit at a table mm. With someone who's no Or with someone Who, who disagrees With both of those opinions yeah. And sit and go Okay fair enough I'm not yeah. offended By your opinion yeah. Because we're all Entitled to have
2: it 100% And see the thing is When the right now are appearing more tolerant than the left. We know we have a problem. Yeah. And again, it goes back to the thing that the left are actually not liberal anymore. They're a new form of leftism that are against liberal freedoms, and that's the that's the real problem. Yeah. And I think it's going to manifest worse. And it's going to get worse than. It's going to just get worse in this country. It's, it's like it, it's like we're gearing up for another fucking civil war or something. Yeah. I don't know. They can't like especially just this this the, the, the real activists. The activists are out there. They're pitting each other and they're against each other. And you know what the fucking funny thing is, right? They're really fighting each other over stupid issues a lot of the times and accusing each other of being this and accusing each other of being that. And there's so many things that we could really be getting involved in that we're all affected by, like the housing crisis and the renting crisis. uh, They're real issues that are happening. And uh, they're allowing allowing themselves to drift into some some stuff that is nonsense. Mm. And the other thing is, you know, calling people far-right, calling people racist, calling people Nazis. Like, I'm from the most discriminated against group in Mm. Ireland. you should only be calling people that who are who are legitimately that because that's how you stop conversation and that's how you lose a debate but they think they're winning the debate by shouting you racist Mm. let's hear what you have to say and and, you know literally calling someone a nazi that's stupid as well because nazism is an is an exact precise ideology Mm -hmm. and if you're a nazi you're going to follow the ideology so if you just think have elements of Nazism, you can't call them a nazi it's and it's your opinion. Let's hear what you ha- actually have to say. Don't be putting words in people's mouths. So I'm I'm just I'm a, I'm a free speech extremist. I do not believe in hate speech. Yeah. Like I do not believe we should be bringing in hate speech laws. I don't believe in any of that. To be honest with you, I want to hear even someone like Tommy Robinson in Britain, who I disagree with with everything. I th- and he was imprisoned essentially for for for, for uh, that it, it um just uh, reporting on uh, Muslims who were convicted of paedophilia. What? That is fucking crazy! Like, mm. what the fuck? What kind of world are we living in? Let and let's hear what he has to say. And now he's gone huge. Yeah. he is huge now. He is like the voice of the working class people and the white working class in England. And it's because of the intolerant left. Absolutely.
1: But do you ever feel like? I mean, because mm. you you obviously your your job your role you know it's kind of you you need the from a, a promotional element we'll say like you need the backing of media you need the support of you know the masses will we say. Um, Do you ever feel like when you're in those moments if I'm going to speak out about this going, do you know what John, don't because it's just not fucking worth it.
2: I do actually. I do, yeah. Um, I do... Think that but I still usually don't yeah. do that I have to do it <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a devil inside me there's a self destructive inside <laughs> of me
1: don't press the red button press there's, that there's fucking red button like, I'll give you an example
2: <laughs> the other night um, Marco Halloran is a, is a writer and an actor uh, he, he was in Adam and Paul and he wrote mm. that and he did Garage and Viva uh, I, I'd basically say one of the greatest artists in Ireland and one of the, uh, the most important voices, I'd say, we have as, as from an artist's perspective and an activist's perspective. And I would, I, I would agree with him in a lot of things. He did a show recently, the Virtues, the Shame Meadow show. Where,
1: ah, unreal! Yeah,
2: he, he he was in that, yeah, and he incredible. came in, and he was just like he was literally. Inc- I watched that, and I was like, this is amazing. His performance mm-hmm. was amazing. And, who did uh, he play in that? he played the fella that uh, that, uh, that the lead met on the Bidlin side and he became kind of friends and he was himself abused and he, w- he, grew he up hung there. himself yeah. at the end yeah. so he played him
1: shit spoiler uh, sorry for yeah. anyone who didn't watch and it.
2: Mark put out a, he put out a tweet the other night and this is like an example of the kind of new divisive left kind of talking and it was kind of surprising because I, I'd really admire him you know and it was like um, it was like when are the pro-life movement uh, going to start uh, realizing that there are so many far right figures in Ireland that support pro, uh, pro that, that, that support the pro-life movement, right, mm-hmm. or have pro-life views. And to me, this was a very nonsensical logic because that's like saying, I think I, th- I, I said to them, imagine if a serial killer holds a similar view to you.
0: Mm.
2: Does your view become invalid because he holds the same view? People are very complex, yeah. you know, they're ver- they're nuanced and people don't always hit everything, you know. And I said to them, you're talking about that and you're talking about Nazism on the far right. Well, what about Margaret Sanger? Did you ever hear of Margaret Sanger? Never. Well, Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood, which is the biggest abortion agency in the world. She promoted abortion all around the world. Margaret Sanger uh, founded Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger was a deep admirer of Hitler and wrote him personally and was pen pals with Hitler. She was a white supremacist. She supported... Uh, she was a major eugenicist. Uh, she believed in weeding out the poverty stricken and ethnic groups um through abortion. Um she she promoted abortion in the African American community specifically and other ethnic groups too, the Irish too, because they were seen as dirty and, and peasantry and poverty stricken in the early in the turn of the twentieth century and other groups. And um and the result of that she targeted African American leaders and convinced them that Abortion was going to be a great thing for them because they'd have smaller families then and have a more disposable income and you'd get, gain more wealth. And as a result of that today, 18 million black children have been aborted since 1979. And if you're black in America now, you've a 50-50 chance of being born uh, or aborted because it's so prevalent. It's seven times higher in the African-American community than the white community because they targeted the poor people. Margaret Sanger was the founder of it and literally a fucking Nazi. And he's saying that these some of these Nazis are holding pro life views well the founder of the founder of abortion essentially was a Nazi but does that mean that everybody's pro-choice is a Nazi you have to question that no mm. it doesn't people have different uh, positions Absolutely. so it's, that's the sort of divisive of talk like demonising people because of their view I don't believe in that let's have and this is why it's great to have these long form conversations instead of say me at the time going on the radio uh, with the pro-life thing and getting a six minute interview and being attacked bam 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 you misogynist exactly. you woman hater you, like, yeah. you woman hater misogynist I was being called my hero is my mother and my grandmother my grandmother is a this hero is, of mine and they're white. telling me I'm yes. a woman hater like this is this was, and I can understand th- I can understand people's point of view so I understand right And the extremist point of view, there's an extremist point of view of both of them and one is if you're pro-life you're a woman hater you hate women you're a misogynist and the other is if you're um, pro-choice well then you're a murderer and this that and the other you know what I mean but there's a lot more complexity to this mm. and people were jumping to the extreme of both of them and that was the, that was the problem yeah.
1: you know well, I find that it's kind of we were in this age of like Hysteria, where yeah. people are not even actually outrage. soaking in, yeah, like just hysterical outrage, and no one is actually sitting down with logic and going, okay, sorry, why did someone say that? What are the reasons for that? Yeah. I saw a thing a while ago. Um, there was a thing on the rap group First of All, yeah. two lads from Ringsend. I'm right? big fans of them. Big fans as well, right? Yeah. And the uh, I tweeted
2: all about them. About yeah, <laughs> support.
1: Yeah, you so you know what I'm going to talk about about yeah. the, about yeah. the black women thing, but, right? Yeah,
2: but it's satire.
1: It is satire. Yeah. I saw somebody uh, absolutely put this, this um, you know, the whole thing up about them. And I was like, I don't feel like I'm intelligent enough to sit down and have the conversation of, you know, you, I'm sending you yeah. in, right? Yeah. But in this vein of somebody, you know, sitting and saying, like, it, being outraged by it, in another vein, they were promoting, you know, Cardi B or something of the, yeah. the same ilk where she's like in her underwear promoting sex sexualizing absolutely everything that she does
2: yeah
1: and then you're trying to say that don't sexualize
2: but she's doing it seriously
1: yeah they're doing it satirically
2: i've I've very strong views on this and it's not
1: only black women because it's for my my caucasian women as well do you know what i mean like it's all women
2: of course but my views are very simple on this right in times of need like this in in um in politics, when we get the voice of politics like this and when they struggle politically. The most important people, I think, are one of the most important people. Anyway, are artists in general, but but comedians and satirists, mm-hmm. they can make better points than anybody with yeah. satire. Satire is the best, you know what I mean? They can make political points brilliantly. Um, even SNL, Saturday Night Live, have done some great satirical stuff in the last few years about Trump. I think they've overdid it and kind of bl- blown the heart a bit too much, but satire is very important, right? To criticise satire, satire is usually making the opposite point of something or it's doing something to be sensationalised. Like, you look at them lads. They have a fucking song called We Sell Brown. Yeah. And they're dressed like ridiculous ridiculous 90s gangster rappers. They're fucking... They, they're being satirical. Yeah. The one song they talk about stabbing hipsters in Grafton Street. Yeah. They're messing. They're joking. They're yeah. buzzing. They're doing crazy shit in their fucking videos. Watch it like? Yeah. It, this is absolutely crazy. These fellas... Listen, how hard is it for a fucking Irish hip hop group, fellas who are uh, rapping in their own accents? Mm-hmm. To gain the success they had, they're selling out the fucking sold Olympia. The,
1: sold out the Olympia. They yeah. sold out the Blink over Tree Engl- arena. Yeah,
2: over in England and all them places and all. Are you crazy? You know, we should be. Pr- these fellows are going to make it to the fucking Grammys. I bet yeah. you. It's satire. Yeah. What about when Blind Boy does it or you know them they did it? But he didn't go as far. Maybe, maybe as edgy. But theirs was satire too, absolutely. and might have been perceived as being perfe- uh, offensive to people. Uh, like I think they're absolutely brilliant. That individually, two very talented artists and writers, and
1: so in so clever yeah. in how they write and how they put everything together the videos they do everything all the creative elements I'm a huge hip hop
2: fan they're proper MCs they're brilliant and I think we should be promoting these fellas and they get my full support and they're being totally satirical obviously if they're being serious with all these lyrics no one's going to support them this is funny you should listen they have a fucking video on YouTube what's the video called it's called The Night We Fucking Sodomized (sighs) Trinity College and it's a video in Trinity Cut, like, come on, you know what I mean? Like the, the, these lads are buzzing, like they're shouting, who's on ease? Yeah. They're just buzzing. <laughs> and they're in char- if you watch their interviews, even where, in Electric Picnic, yeah. they're in character.
0: Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean.
2: Like these fellas are great, Buzz. Yeah. They light up my life sometimes <laughs> when I listen to their music. That's the an analogy I sit back in I Dublin City G's. I'm loving it. Yeah, or we Sell Brown or, or <laughs> Who Robbed the Hash. <laughs> I love these tunes. because the where I come from, because I'm not yeah. just a traveller. I come from Darndale I appreciate these Absolutely. social identifiers and and you know someone is someone is able to look at this through a satirical lens. Yeah. I think th- I think they're fucking geniuses.
1: And they're like this whole like we're scumbags, baby. Yeah, we're you scumbags. know what I mean. Like I love it. Like
2: <laughs> what what what's a line they have? Uh, and like to t- I'd like to thank all the smackheads in Abbey Street like you know what I mean because all yeah. the stuff is selling that they're getting their Gucci and all like yeah. this is the the one woman there who's like they have a thing around her neck and she's eating fucking cake or something it's mad they're just they're doing the most shocking satirical thing the most extreme thing that they can think of and it's had a huge success there's an appetite for that absolutely. especially in this fucking PC world we live in now mm-hmm. we need fucking people like this absolutely, that's my opinion
1: absolutely it. yes John yes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but before how are we doing for time there where are we we're good. We're, we're, we're good stuff. Um, obviously, you know, music is a huge part—not only acting and creating, directing, producing—but music is a huge part of your your life. You mm. know, obviously, your friends, Teddy Darling, Creative mm. Crime, Damien Dempsey. You know, you seem to be surrounded by this little kind of creative yeah. friends group. You know, how did how did that all come together? How did you guys all all join up and?
2: I met them. how do
1: you influence each other?
2: Oh yeah. Well when I met Demo in Treslan twelve. Um he did a few songs in King of the Travers, my first film, and I met him at a play of Michael Collins who was in King of the Travers an actor, the first Traveler actor, and I was a big fan of Demo. Mm. And I just went over and said hello over and with shook his hand and we just hit it off and he says where, where are you living are you living on Darnell?" I said yeah he says, uh, he says uh, I'm living in Donnymede that's where Damo talks and I like, real deep pushed just greetings my friends you know it's real special." oh god welcome know? Damo yeah, yeah. so um, he said, he said uh, do you go to the cinema I said yeah absolutely of course I'm an actor like we go to the cinema about two, three times a week I said alright then let's go to the cinema together so we went to the cinema and actually I remember the first time I met him there we met with a few others Dean Scurry was there and uh, he was wearing, Good man. Good he man, was, Dean. yeah, Elden. Yeah, he was wearing a paddy cap, a checkered, a checkered uh, jacket, right? Proper traveller. Tracksuit bottoms and a pair of ASICs right? And a, and a vest top underneath. And I said, Damn, well, you're dressed like <laughs> the stereotypical traveller, <laughs> and you, you didn't know what to say whether to laugh or not. You know, what I mean? fucking you, fucking funny cunt,
0: you. And I remember
2: I dropped him home that night. We just fucking hit it off, and we just had these brilliant, creative what conversations. Did you go see? I, oh, I wouldn't even remember actually. Well who knows what. I'm not that good of a memory. Right. Um and then Teddy then I met Teddy I met when we were just training there was this gym in Darndale which was like in the Darndale industrial say a gym that had a ring and weights everything. And it was like the grittiest gym ever. I was I was going over training and he was training he was doing he was doing bits of MMA there I was in boxing and yeah. we just sort of started chatting and then um, I, I, he told me he was a rapper I heard one of his songs I said I want that in Carver Gangster this film I'm writing you know yeah, this oh is, yeah. and then I didn't end up making it for another two or three years and I ended up having 10 of his songs there and then I introduced and him to Damon. he was in demo. the movie as well Yeah, he yeah, yeah 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 a few scenes and then I introduced him to Damon. the three then became very good fran- friends together supporting each other in artistic de- endeavours you know he supported Damon on Vicar Street a few times and uh and it's good just having artist, other artists' friends so you can have them conversations Um, because you get very frustrated sometimes mm. and they all translate to each other like whether it's music acting whatever it's all creativity you know what i mean so it's
1: important for you to have them included in what you're doing and, and likewise you know what i mean yeah
2: i think there's just sort
1: of natural
2: relationships building there like with demo uh the first song i put into the script of cardboard gangsters was serious the song which ended up being a part of the montage there and I just said, I want that song. So, and then I said, look, do you want to get in the film then as well? You know, so mm. it was just a natural, it's not things that sort of happen naturally. And Dame was like a working class fellow who looks tough as nails. Yeah. But he's actually a big old softy, he's a big old heart, you know yeah. what I mean? But he was perfect for the little part he played in with as well, you know? So it's just sort of all sort of naturally happened. We don't force things anymore. Yeah. Whatever happens, you know what I mean? But it's,
1: it's lovely. From the outside of looking in, like, it's a lovely quasi because, you know, my friend circle are not involved in combat sports. You know, my close friends I grew up with, they're not involved in combat sports. They, they don't, when I go on TV, they're like, what are you doing? I'm on, on TV today. Oh, all right, grants Grant. They're not, they're supportive, but from a distance. You know yeah. what I mean? So it, it must be nice to have that close group that, like, you can, you know, talk creatively with them and go, here, what do you think about this? Or I'm thinking about writing this piece? Or have a read of that. Tell me what you think of it, you know? It is,
2: yeah. Because, like, when Themo gets a new song, he sends me the song for a yearly draft, what do you think of that? And yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's shite. <coughs> sure yeah. Never. No, but, but, I wouldn't
1: say you've but, ever said no, that.
2: No, but Demo's not, not capable of producing shite. Absolutely. He's, he's the yeah. artist of his generation in this country. He's a hero of mine 100%. from a professional level as well as being a friend you know, and and he's inspired me so much. And we kind of better each other, help each other like that. But he sends me on it, what do you think of this and what do you think of that? And I'll give my little, but I'll be totally honest, I would never Mm -hmm. lie. And if there's something critical to say, I will say something critical. And I'll send him on a a draft of a script, or I might send him on a new short film, then a director, what do you think of that? And we give each other advice. Same with Teddy, we do the same with Teddy as well. We'd be all doing the same with each other. And that's great, you know, again, like Demo would be, be, Demo would have just a great eye for even film and structure Mm -hmm. and story and whatever because he's a great storyteller you know what I mean yeah. uh, so we just all help each other like that and it's brilliant to have it like without that you can kind of be a bit fucked and mm-hmm. sometimes maybe with Damon I might be gone for a while in London or I might it's you kind of miss that you know what I mean because yeah, Damon's yeah. always on the road or if I'm on the road you kind of miss that you know what I mean you, uh, um, uh, you need advice sometimes also have Jimmy Smaller there who um, directed me in my play and Jimmy and me have become really good Ireland's friends. Ireland's cool. And Yeah. And he, uh, he's, a, he's a legend. He's someone as well who I'd look at, at, at as a kind of a mentor as well, another mm. artist. And it is very important for me to have that to be honest. Because if not, I'm just having conversations where people have no idea what I do. Yeah, yeah, you know what exactly. I, mean? I have a perception yeah. of what I do. And uh, their perception of what I do might be very superficial. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's kind of frustrating. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's good then sometimes when you're stuck in your own creative endeavor to have a chat about something and you might find that little breaking point you know
1: yeah in terms of your creative process you know when you're you're at home and you're you're writing a film or whatever it is how do you get into that headspace I mean are you the type of creative that if you're walking down the street something will pop into your head and you're writing, I'll, I'll put a little note on my phone there and I'll expand on that when I go home or do you have to go off and soak yourself in you know nature for four weeks and then something comes to you what's your process no, like
2: no I'm just constantly have thoughts and I constantly jot them down and uh I figure I figure things out like we just wrote a script recently there, and I figured all out in my head before I ever ever write the script. But I might mm-hmm. have loads of notes, and they're very simple notes. Like very like like I had a dream the other night, and I dreamt of uh, writing a doing a film about. It's a revenge thriller, of an IRA member who gets out of prison just on the Good Friday agreement and is a soldier who is now has no war to fight and his OC tells him it's over and go home to your family essentially in the old sort of soldier sort of structure of a story yeah. and he can't connect with his girlfriend or his kid because he was abused growing up in a home and he has to find something to do and what skills does he have? He's the skills of a soldier. So he go, he goes on a revenge mission, and it's very ambiguous. You don't know what he's doing, and he essentially goes after the people who abuse them. I just had a dream of that, and I literally, all, what I did is I just wrote and I woke up, and I went, Revenge RC, just Revenge uh, Roman Catholic Church. You know what I mean? That's it, and that's my note. So now I'm going to figure the whole story out, and then eventually I'll get a burst of energy, and mm-hmm. I'll write a whole draft of it in one sit-down session, maybe six hours. I'll type it all into my phone. I'll write in, me, I'll write in a, a, a software that I can just text in and I'll, I'll write the script. I'll write a draft of the script, maybe in four or five hours and drink a lot of coffee and then just leave it and then I'll read it and then I'll rewrite it and then I'll clean it up and then I'll send it to someone I respect. I'll take their notes. Only rootless people I send it to. Yeah. Ruthless, And I'll take their notes. I'll go back at it. I'll let it breathe again and then I'll send it to someone else who has a different taste on it, you know, a different mm. take and then I'll do that and that's kind of the way I do it.
1: Is it like a medis- meditative process it yeah, feels kind of like a a release in some it's way it's
2: cathartic writing it but it's really enjoyable thinking it all up in your head and figuring it all out because I'm, I, I'm, I don't get too precious about oh don't forget that don't forget that because I I actually genuinely believe if you forget it it's not meant to be you know what yeah, I mean like okay, it, you'll, yeah, only, right. you'll only sort of remember what is really important about the story or whatever you know so I don't get worried about oh I forgot that or I'm like nah just little one line about what it is one feeling one you know random random stuff maybe someone else wouldn't even understand yeah. if you read it you know and then I'll just get the burst of energy but i wait for the energy I don't go like some people do I, Monday now at 9 o'clock I'm going to start writing I don't do that yeah. I just I literally go when the burst comes I go with the burst and I just write like but Carver Gangsters <clears throat> I wrote like that a 190 page script and most scripts are 90 pages I wrote a 190 page script in one day just from a sit down session just a burst of energy you know what I mean like, yeah. and then I didn't have it for weeks and then I went back at it and cut it down and whatever but I just go on the burst I need momentum yeah. so I'm, so, but thinking about it and figuring it out gives me that energy because then I go all oh, right. right now I'm ready to just unleash it all now yeah. and then I don't do what other script writers do which is do an outline figure out a structure three act four act five act whatever it be the inciting incident uh, the sending into the conflict um, climax epilogue all this stuff I don't yeah. do any of that I write totally instinctual uh, and every human being has stor- a story structure ingrained into our psyches it's, it's, the, it's what Jung talks about uh, archetypes it's yeah. ingrained in our psyche we have a natural we all, everybody thinks of things in a three act structure whether they like it or not yeah. it's a beginning a middle and the end but not always in that form mm. but it's ingrained in our psyche this goes back thousands of years of telling stories so I just tell it literally without thinking about it keep going keep going keep going and then when I have it then I look at it and go now how can I structure it to have the most uh, emotional impact that's the way I always look at it from that angle. And then how do I take out the the fat, the shit that we don't need and let's treat the audience with a bit more brains rather than having to tell them everything. How do we show this? And then, and then that's when you are fine. And that's the kind of fun thing. And I was doing that yesterday for an application with a script that we thought was in really good shape and while Tiernan was doing all the kind of mathematical stuff the budgets I said I'm going to give it another read and another rewrite and it was just a rewrite to literally make it more clever clever smarter you know what I mean crispier yeah. and, and easier to read as well because yeah. if a script is easy to read it's a good script
1: Absolutely, even if yeah. the
2: content is bad even if the content is hard and it's like traumatic stuff it it's always has to be an easy read that's what I've noticed about every script when I used to get the Love, Hate scripts from Stuart Carlin it was the easiest script ever to read and mm. you literally by reading the page you knew who the character was because he designed the character, he did so much work for the character on the page that you didn't have to do any work for the character, mm. and that's the best writing, you know. Yeah.
1: Were you shocked at? Um, I mean, you've spoken openly about the response that you got, not only from cardboard Gangsters but also from Love Hate, like the, in terms of like the public response and the kind of like. Especially with *Love, Hate*, like you, your character, just—I mean, people fell in love with him. You know what I mean? Because he had such these, uh, such a good nature and a good moral standing. You know what I mean? And went up against the bad guy and nids, you know, and all mm. that. Were, were you shocked? You know, did you see people's perception of you change after that?
2: Yeah, listen, nothing could prepare you for for the mm. reaction that happened. I mean, I talked about this before. It's like being a fucking beetle, yeah. being in *Love, Hate*. You know what I mean? Mm. A beetle, but did the you fucking, enjoy that? Without the money. Um, uh, <laughs> I can't say I didn't take
0: yeah,
2: it, <laughs> there were moments I definitely enjoyed, but it got very heavy for me. Yeah, and uh, it definitely it it affected me negative positively first of all, and then it got too intense, and then it went really negative. You know, mm. um, but going back to the character, I, I one one thing I didn't want was. I love to play characters who have an inner conflict going on with themselves they don't know what they're doing because I can relate to that because that's me yeah. and they're the most interesting characters to watch they are most compelling if you look at Tony Tony uh, Soprano or you look at Walter White there's always an internal conflict and because of that you can, can forgive them bad things mm-hmm. and I think this is interesting so I didn't want him to be a character that goes and blows someone's heads off and doesn't give a shit he's a psychopath I wanted it to be someone who struggles and, t- and Stuart thought, well he's a traveller like, and travellers are religious most of them mm-hmm. I'm not given that religious morality yeah, I mean that's a great idea. So that's where we kind of started with. So it's, it's, it was trying to get the audience to forgive the unforgivable, which is forgive him mm-hmm. from killing somebody. But how do you do that? The character I end up killing, first of all, before Nidge, who's the other Traveller character, he set up my kid to be shot. Mm-hmm. Of course you're going to forgive that. But also, what was interesting, what Stuart he put on the page was, he had my character essentially think out loud, which was a way of actually verbally torturing the other character because yeah. he's giving them hope as if he might not kill him. Mm -hmm. But in the back of my mind, I know that he's always gonna kill him. But because he has empathy and a religious morality, he's justifying the killing to the character himself and thinking out loud, letting him know that this is why I'm gonna kill you but giving him a little bit of hope because he doesn't want to break them until yeah. he's ready to go into the moment of psychosis. Mm-hmm. And then he kills him. So that was like the, the big moment when that happened with my character. That kind of exploded online. In the
1: pub, wasn't it? When, when well,
2: that was the nids one, but this was when I killed the fella in the, in the container. And I killed oh, him and I, yeah, I sliced yeah, him up yeah, or whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 So that was ah, that. The poor fella, John. Yeah, I
2: know. Thomas Collins is a friend of mine as well. He's a great actor, travel actor actually as well. well. you
1: know, mm. just let him go, James. <laughs> not up to me. Do
2: you know, what's gas when, when people when people approach me and they, and they blame me for killing Ninja or whatever and ending in the series. Yeah. I go, do you not fucking understand? I didn't write this fucking thing. <laughs> you, fucking, you fucking idiot. I met this one fella, right? And some people are fucking mad, right? Yeah. And I don't mean to be mad. This, I was outside Blanchardstown shopping centre I was getting picked up to go down and do this film in Navon and a fella come up to me and this was in the middle of why Love Hate was on and it was it was the two days before the last episode I think it was on a Friday a Saturday the day before the last episode and he was like um, hey yeah, 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 Patrick Patrick I said who's that just the old man I said uh, Patrick uh, you want to get out of here get out of here I said what are, you ta- what? what are you talking about I started laughing I thought he was like taking a piss with me yeah. he said fucking niggers around here."
0: And I just <laughs> literally bust
2: out laughing. I was with my friend James, who played <laughs> my brother in love, and the two of us laughed, you know? Yeah. And he went, Don't be fucking laughing, get out of here, it's gonna fucking whack. And we kept laughing, laughing more. I thought this man was winding me up. His son came over, and his son just went like that, like. He's mad. Well. He's mad. He's not well like us. Oh, Jesus Christ! No,
1: was this he. fella
2: was thinking Nid's was going around looking for me.
1: Out in Blanche you know? doing his job. Yeah. Doing his day job. Well, I,
2: I give you another laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, killed the Nid's character. Blah blah blah. Right? And I, yeah. I went around. I, whenever like I was asked by several people about it whenever the Nid's I was like, at least now traveler won for once. You yeah. know, <laughs> little, little little soft joke. I didn't think it was too controversial. But I went to uh, I went to a big fight event in uh, the O2 and I went up to the floor the floor is called the VVIP floor right oh yeah and I was invited up there. I said okay yeah free drink sounds good and there was these ga- I'm not going to say how they fucking were but these are top gangsters uh, like famous and I went over and they were all alright John what's up buddy yeah, take a picture take a picture with the slayer and all this right and I says yeah about time of traveller one for once silence oh, I said oh my god I was there with Stuart Carlin
1: uh, okay lads He's I think like,
2: I'm just Going to get out like, of here If
1: someone could Point out the exits I need to get out of here To release
2: my butt cheeks <laughs> 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 So I left the VVIB And I went back down To the VIP. Just a regular I said, Vib. the VIP will do me I don't need to be up you. there With them elites <laughs> uh, But it's gas It's gas Because some people Take fucking shit serious Like I have people challenge me To fight and all Do you think you're A gangster mm. uh, No I played a gangster It's mm. fictional I'm an actor Hello my job? And then other people Like um, there was one fella The only re- selfie I've ever refused this one fell in Lily's, I know Lily's, what a wanky but name. W-
1: what is John Connors know, doing yeah, Lily's yeah, yeah, in Lily's in the first place? You know, like... well, Lily, Lily's <laughs> treated me really good, so I
2: actually won't bad talk Lily, they treated me really good. <laughs> but um, this one fell came up to me and he went, uh, and he was wearing an Ireland rugby top the day Ireland played some whatever, the fucking one, I don't care about rugby, I can give a shit about it to be honest. Uh, I think you know that by the play, Yeah. Ireland's yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he came up to me and he says, here, uh, Johnny, and it's not even my name, but I'll accept, Johnny, of have, <laughs> have loads of names, right? I'm getting a selfie with you. And I said, uh, uh, sorry, I, I was literally taught, he didn't just say that to me. Sorry, what is it? I'm getting a selfie with you. I said, you're getting a selfie with me, are you? Uh-huh. And he says, yeah. If it wasn't for the likes of me, you'd be still boxing in car parks.
1: You're kidding me. I swear
2: me. to holy God. I said, right, cameras are everywhere. Calm down, breathe, meditate. <laughs> mm, how are we going to handle this? Okay, okay. I'll have to pierce through this fella's soul with me eyes. I said, I swear to God, if you don't leave me right now, I'm going to reach through and rip your heart out of your chest and eat it. I swear to holy God above in heaven, do not test me. Get out of my face.
0: Oh, there's no need to
2: get so personal about it. And just walked off. So you get them sort of situations where you just want to then you got th- you got to think yeah. about the camera looking at you you know that kind of thing?
1: But give me an example of a of a on the other side of that what's been the most um memorable time that someone has approached you and said you know whether it was the, it, they took something from an appearance on Love Hate or you're riding on carbo gangsters or just you what's been the most uh, memorable one
2: There's been a few there's been a few like the, with my play there's been less shallow um, interactions because mm. the play is so heavy and it's talking about a lot of important stuff. And there was one woman who, who's brother went to Letterfrack. Yeah. And, uh, she, you know, Letterfrack is a, is a, was an industrial school. It was like the San Quentin of industrial schools. Mm. My grandfather went there.
1: And you have, it's in Iron's Call, it's you in speak call, about yeah. it. So yeah. she
2: seen me talking about that and she busted out crying and thanked me for it. And again, we met an old woman in, um, in uh, Kerry in the Writers Week uh, Festival down there. Uh, and she said the same, and like a lot of these old people who grew up in sort of this Catholic Ireland and seen the chains in the last fifty years, were all crying like a group of them, like like mm. an audience of people crying. And I, it was there. I did that Q and A the night before I did it. My grandfather had been anointed, and then I went down and still done the play and literally left and went back down. And in the middle of it all, I was just crazy, wondering what the fuck, how am I going to do this performance, you know? But it ended up being me most, of the, me most, of the most on performance because I thought my grandfather was going to be dead by the time I got home, you know. And I connected deeply with them, and they were all thanking me and uh, and just saying thank you for talking about this trauma that no one wants to talk mm. about. So, them moments were the most emotional for me, and 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 kind of um, it confirms that you're doing you're you're doing something that's worthy of something, and we all need that. We all need a sense of meaning and purpose.
1: Purpose, yeah. yeah I was just about to ask, do you feel like you're achieving your life purpose now, and um, you know, in acting, in being this creative? John Connors
2: I think I'm figuring out what I want to do more I don't know I think I've of you look no one's ever going to be happy with what they're doing yeah. I don't think anyway I'm not going to be anyway and um, but I'm figuring out where I need to go and I'm figuring out that it's all the same thing it's all what I'm I'm essentially just trying to pull back the curtains with what I'm dealing with myself put that out to the world and hope other people get something from that Mm. and I'm doing that with me talking I'm doing that with me acting I'm doing that with me writing yeah. it's all about healing for me that's what it's all about so I'm figuring that out now I'm being less hard on myself nowadays and, and, and with the guilt and shame and all these stupid things that get ingrained in us uh, and I'm becoming more and more self aware seeing the important things seeing family all that kind of stuff so I'm gr- I'm definitely growing more um, and I'm hoping that I'm trying to do things artistically creatively that I won 't regret in ten years' time, yeah, you know what I mean Not, like I don't want to look back and go, that was pretty immature and immature lens to look at that uh, I want to try to go what's the what's the internal truth here, and I explore that because it 's always something that i'll i'll be proud of rather than something looking back so I'm trying to do that and try to and I to have no regrets that's very important, you know what I mean, because regrets are the worst fucking thing mm-hmm. ever, you know, and even recently, like in all the debts in my family and all that it's fucking confirmed that even more and more like because you don't want people are dying all the time and you never get to say goodbye, or you never get to tell them you love them. You know, like when someone die, you never get to tell them you love them. Like, thankfully, with my grandfather, I was able to say that, and I was able to tell him how much he influenced me. Mm-hmm. And I, and I would not anything that's good for me. I would not be there. It would not be there if it were not for him. Yeah. But unfortunately, with other people in my family, I never had that chance. So I, I'm just loving people around me and and telling people. Tell me, mother. I tell my mother all the time, I love you, and I give her a hug all the time. Like, mm. and she's real old-fashioned and. Travis, she's real shy, you know, she's yeah. kind of huddling. Maybe if she's drunk, she'll, give you a, she'll probably give it back. But she loves getting a hug. She's just yeah. really shy to kind of take yeah. it. You know, I mean, me and my brother, like, my brother was going to England, my brother Pacquiao, and he was moving away. And, you know, I'd give him over, come here, give me a hug, to give them advice, tell me this, you know, all this, and just being comfortable with each other. Because you just never know what's around the corner, you know. Absolutely. Anything can happen, and you just want people to leave. If they're going to leave this world or you're going to leave, you want everybody knowing who loves who. Absolutely.
1: You know? When you leave, how would you like to be remembered?
2: How would I like to be remembered? You see, here's the thing about that, <clears throat> why we're afraid of death so much is because we're afraid of, we are driven by ego, mm-hmm. okay? And I have an ego and everybody's an ego and I have a fear of death. And even that question, how would we like to be remembered is a thing of ego? Because people work for legacies and they work for legacy because they've an ego. Mm. But what you need to realize is when you die, your ego dies mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, no matter what, it, it getting to the point where you don't care about legacy, right, is maybe Dalai Lama level of of enlightenment, maybe. Yeah. And anybody under that is always going to have some. So I'm never going to get the Dalai Lama level. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to worry about legacy. Of course, I want to have a legacy, but yeah. I'm trying my best to not and sort of just leave it all out in the ring now while I'm here. And let yeah. other people, let they let the chips fall where they, where they were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what only is really important is how my family see me. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a personal level. You know what I mean? And if I can affect people and help make any sort of change or inspire people. And I know I have done that and people have told me they've done that. And that, that is great. It does give me a buzz. But the f- it's what the family really think of me, really. And people I love and people I respect. Because I can't get, the I can't allow it to become bigger than that. Yeah. Because then I start just... I'll sabotage it all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I'm my own worst enemy. So I try to not take too bigger picture with that. Like, if Self I'm self-sabotage. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. If I'm looking, well, I'm 29 now. Yeah. If I live to 70, that's a fucking great age. Like, if yeah. I can get there, you know what I mean? Like, and if I get to 70, <laughs> I don't give a shit.
1: Then <laughs> about be fucking legacy. You know what I mean?
2: Like, I, I'm I'm 29. Like, and I'm fucking ancient for a traveller not to be married and have kids as well. Like,
1: well, th- I was going to yeah. ask you that. I was not going to ask that because. You know, I see some kind of similarities because I'm obviously 35. Mm. I'm not married. Yeah. I don't have any kids. And it's like, you know, it's like going around with leprosy or something yeah. like you're not <laughs> married. You don't have kids. You're 35. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't own your own house. What, how does that affect you? You know,
2: uh, well, there's two ways of looking about it. We've a grown population of the world already. I think when I was a teenager, we had six billion population. we're 7.9 or something. So uh, <laughs> maybe maybe adopting is better. Uh, <laughs> stop fucking procreating, people. Nah, no, but I, I, look, I, I, like I've again l- 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 ego and legacy. You definitely think about uh, your 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 seed carrying on, your yeah. breed carrying on. You know what I mean? Your name carrying on. I think about those things. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I'm not prepared to go there right now because I have too many obsessions. Mm. And then I need to have all my ducks in place Before I ever go down that road You know what I mean So I have a certain level I need to reach as an artist As a person And then we'll see what happens Do you You feel like a relationship
1: Would kind of take you away from your focus
2: I have too much Like Relationships are fucking hard work I you're telling, me. Work, like, you're telling in, like, me. I can't do it because I'm, I'm like, I am like, for instance, like I'm leaving you now and I'm going to be editing until six in the morning. Mm. Like what girlfriend's going to put up with that? And yeah. then I'm doing applications and then I'm going to go on a film set. And once I'm in a film set and acting, I'm doing 15, 16 hours a day. You're not going to see me. Yeah. And I'm, if I'm playing a part where I'm going through any sort of conflict or struggle with every fucking part I play, I'm going to be in a really bad mood. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. and then, and then guess what? Guess what? I'm gonna be six weeks fucking doing that, then I'm gonna be so night. Nice, I'm gonna go on a bender, and you won't and you won't be able to contact me. <laughs> and God knows what's gonna happen. And I could be in a house full of fifty women, and I don't know what's gonna happen because I can't trust myself. <laughs> so I don't know. I have to grow up a lot as well in my own way. You're
1: never going to get a girlfriend you know again I mean? That's, just the, that's <laughs> just the truth of it. That's the
2: truth of it. you know what I mean? So what good woman is going to put up with me now? And listen, I'm... A, look, I, uh, you know, I might... But it's people, a very
1: mature answer because hmm. you could easily go like, you know, in yourself and go, fuck it, they just have to deal with it. Yeah, and that's
2: just, you know, being with, Look, sometimes you sit down you watch Netflix and you go, hmm, bit of company wouldn't be well, bad I here. Just, gonna, you just know loneliness, what I mean? like,
1: loneliness creep and in, it's not you know? always
2: about sex, like, but just a genuinely bit of company here. Be nice, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so, uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, like, uh, some people might listen to this podcast and might think. God forbid you might think I have a bit of charm about me or, <laughs> or a bit of like, some good qualities but if they hung around with me long enough they'd know how annoying I am. I annoy people and I get pleasure out of annoying people. <laughs> like. And I'll, I like to figure out what somebody's tick is and keep pressing that button. Yeah. So like that's not good for a relationship. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Unless you fucking again have the enlightenment value of the Dalai Lama I'm probably going to annoy the shit out of you.
1: Absolutely yeah. So
2: uh, women all that stuff that's, that's down the road. That's down the road. Um,
1: but it, it, it's an interesting concept, right? Because I see so many, especially in, in my work with fighters, right? Yeah. And they're in relationships and they're they're with partners who really just don't understand what it takes to be a high level professional athlete. Yeah. And it's it's at this stage where they're like, whether they're 19, 20 and they're starting to discover women and the session or they're kind of in their 20s and the partner wants to settle down have a family and go on two holidays a year. And they're like, this is just not my life. And you can see the friction starting to... To creep in, you know, and someone who is thirty-five and who who has been in that position before, I'm like, cut your losses and run. You know what See, I mean?
2: Like you have to you have to look at it one way or one way. Well, you have to look at it one way, and it's up to you. But you have to look at your life with how much time do I have, mm-hmm. and how do do I do distribute that time? So right now, my time is distributed between getting to the absolute highest level I can as an artist, and then being there for me family. Yes. That's that's two uh, time capsules there. Now, if I bring a girl into that, that's the third. Yes. And then it gets distributed unevenly. <laughs> and then it causes major conflict. I and mean, then who is this girl, by the way? You know what I mean? And bringing her in, and then my mother, and then, you know, who the, did he get on there? And is she going to be nice for six months and then turn into a bitch? I've yeah. seen this, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, who knows? And then also even bringing her to the mother and all, that's a big commitment. Well, I was about and to then, say, and it has
1: to be approved by your mother, yeah, right? Yeah, but
2: she'd be grand. But the thing is, what if we break up then? She'd be talking about that one for years. Well, what about your one? Like, if like any sort of connection, I've had with any women, she ah, oh, yeah, you're going out with your <laughs> one. No, I wasn't going out with her. I fucking had a point with her. You know, you don't know. You know, yeah. or you know, someone posted a picture with me, oh, what's gonna tell me gonna and she wants to know all this shit. Like, this is stress for because 'cause I'm because she's all constantly asking me and she thinks like a mini fucking relationship. You're going she, home she's
1: like, John, who is this? Who's that? Who's
2: your <laughs> one? Who's your one? I seen the thing and she's very good looking. Listen, you don't have to say I know when she says she's very good looking like that means I approve. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so do you, think, do you
1: think she'd like to see you settle down and have kids?
2: I think she would, yeah. yeah I think yeah. she would, yeah. And she has what? Well, she's three grandchildren now. My brother Joe keeps giving out to me and Paggy. Well, why don't you fucking have kids?
1: <laughs> give, my,
2: give my children some cousins, for fuck's sake. He said, we're travellers. We need to have gangs of children. <laughs> and, I, and I do feel a bit bad there because like, I'd love the ground promoting birth to travellers even more, <laughs> even though we have a very high birth rate. Because if we all had about 20 children each, in two generations of time, we'd have about a half million population. We'd have our own political party. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so. And it's sort of a traveler supremacist view. Absolutely. <laughs> so I probably would love to have about 100 children or something. Yeah. Maybe if there's about 50 women and have two each with each woman, maybe that's the way to do it. Do
1: you think you'd be a good dad?
2: Um, <laughs> I do. I would be. But my children would be very militant.
0: <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> <laughs>
2: they'd be coming out of the womb with a baliclava. <laughs> <John>. <laughs> they'd be learning about fucking. They'd be learning about the reconquest of Ireland. They'd be coming two out with a yeah. I would Yeah. I would look at them as, I suppose, like, look, Reardon kids, you're the influencer. It's the environment you grow up in, yes. which will determine everything. Your first seven years of your life will determine your worldview. That's the psychoanalytical view of things. The first two years of your life will determine how you deal with a relationship, whether platonic or romantic or whatever uh, family relationships so I would see the importance in that yeah. Uh, and I would be very sensitive about what I share with them in the first few years and then if I was with a, a woman of course I'd, my rule would be to never argue in front of them things like that yes. and uh, I would I would uh, like I'm sick like I'd be putting on Beethoven while they're in the womb, and and you'd have to listen to that for three hours,
0: <laughs> and you know what I mean,
2: and it'd be playing just tapes of Irish the language, so they'd naturally pick it up, and yeah. like because their their brains are like sponges, you know what I mean. So I'd be like the way I try to cram knowledge into my brain, I'd yeah. be trying to do that before they even hit three. I'd be trying to get so much knowledge into their brain, you know what I mean. Yeah. I'd start boxing with them as soon as they're walking, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. But I wouldn't yeah. allow them to spar until they're about ten or eleven, you yeah. know what I mean. Like so, yeah, I I would be good. I do, but I may—I probably have such a level of trying to—I want them to succeed so much they could probably end up being really bad people. <laughs> <laughs> Go on the other <laughs> but that's the way because I look at me, me niece, me niece, and my nephews, and I love them so much, like yeah. so
1: much. But well, you put up was it? It's your two nephews that you put yeah. up last night. Yeah. yeah, they're so. What are their names again?
2: Joseph and Killian.
1: Yeah,
2: I loved them. So, like it's mad because I loved them so much. Like loved them so much. That I can't even. I can't even imagine what it'd be like to have your own child.
1: Exactly. You know yes, what I mean? I'm going yeah, because yeah, that's yeah. love
2: is intense, and do I need that love in my life? Because you're just constantly yeah. thinking about that. Love. But it
1: opens up a whole. Yeah. It opens up a whole space of like fear, yeah. and you know. And it does. It,
2: it do- Then it does change your motivations. It does um, dictate your decisions. Then, yeah. and I'm sort of like I'm going. See, the thing is, I, I have a sort of self responsibility on me as well, mm. like because. I need to, I need to, before someone climbs Everest, before some a group of people can climb it, someone has to climb it, someone has to climb Everest, and they go, oh, someone can climb Everest. And I'm constantly trying to climb the lot of Everest for travellers yeah. and for working class people and people from Darndale and areas like that so that someone can go, yeah, well, he did it, he did it. You know what I mean? Because I saw it with Michael Collins. Mm. Mike Collins was in Row and he did loads of theatre and And he was in a few films and yeah. he's in Man About a Dog. And I went, oh, hang on, what I thought about that. Blackie.
1: Him, is it Blackie yeah, in Glenrow? Yeah, well, oh, yeah, he was,
2: he was fr- his friend in it. Yeah, oh, he was yeah. a traveller character, Blackie. And I went, hang on, he did it so I can do it. And that yeah. gave me inspiration. I remember going, hang on, there is a traveller Like, I'm not the first. There's yeah. someone who done this, and, and they're on fucking television. Yeah. And like, if you haven't acted before and you haven't done any roles at all, just being on television is a big deal. Like,
0: yeah, I th- I thought
2: to course, myself, yeah. I thought to myself, if I get a role by twenty five in a short film with just one line. That's a success. And if I ever got into a Jim Sheridan film before, I was 40, that's success. I got into a Jim Sheridan film by the time I was 25 and I was already nominated for two IFTAs. Like, yeah. you, do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, yeah, so yeah. I have to keep climbing more Everest. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? That's why it was so important when I did that IFTA speech that time was to, was to really voice what I wanted. So to set an example. And to show I'll remain who I am as well. Because the thing was with travellers, if you want this to succeed in something that was not typically a traveller profession or whatever... Or, or, or get into edu- the education system the idea was that you had to excommunicate yourself and your family and your mm-hmm. community
0: yeah. and
2: become a settled person and my thing is no you don't have to fucking do that mm-hmm. you don't have to do that at all you can stay exactly who you are if you want to be super traditional you can and you can do whatever the fuck you want yeah. and you can, inf- and your culture can inform what you want to do mm-hmm. and realise what the bastions of your culture are yeah. and how that's a strength so I have to continue kind of climbing a load of efforts now it's a responsibility I've taken upon myself i will put the pressure on myself but I just that's what the feeling is. And I travel all around the country and I meet travellers and kids and young and young ones and th- these are, that's what they're saying to me. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I have to do it. Mm-hmm. I have no choice in the matter. For me now, it's, just, it's a given. So I need to get to a certain level of that where there's a certain level of security and success and satisfaction for myself. And then we'll see what the kiddie thing is all about. If I'm still fertile. <laughs> <laughs> you're uh, like 66 yeah, Lydia I've got like some fucking, news like Hugh Hefner <laughs> a big fucking creep or something
1: I can see you in a silk pyjama nah, alright yeah 100% know, yeah. <laughs> but listen before I let you go I have to ask last question for everything that you know and all of you have experienced to date what do you think the secret to happiness is
2: uh, sounds cheesy but it's love
1: mm, that's what it is yes.
2: whether that's love with a partner or your family or whatever Uh, And caring for each other because listen, when you strip everything, everything is ego, everything materialism is ego. When you strip away the ego, all you have is love that's the only Mm -hmm. remaining love and compassion for each other. They're the only nutritional things that we have for our soul, you know what I mean? Because going out and buying a Lamborghini is not nutrition for your soul, Mm -hmm. it's the opposite, it's poison, you know what I mean? It's an overdose for Mm -hmm. your soul. So, love and compassion for each other. And removing hate from your life because if you hate, you can never be happy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Personally, hates can't be happy. It just can't because hate, the hate is not coming from the person they hate or it's not being motivated by the person they hate usually. It's being motivated by their own inner conflict and their own trauma. Yeah. And then because you can't hate if you've healed that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So love and compassion for each other and caring for each other. That's all that ever matters because if something happens tomorrow and the shit hits the fan Yeah, all you have is your family and yes. the people you love that's it mm-hmm. it all doesn't matter I've seen it all I've been very high in one and, and got this but when shit hit the fan and I, went, I had no one to back me up who was there my family yeah. my mother my brothers my cousins my uncles my aunts my grandparents they were the only ones who don't give a shit if I fuck up mm. who don't give a shit if I do something stupid who forgive me no matter what whereas no one else doesn't loads mm. of people don't want to forgive yeah. me loads of people want to hate me and that's it. And I can't let that outside hate infect my in, my inner love, my mm-hmm. circle. So that's the most important thing to me. And I think that's the thing to a happy life. And that's when I'm most happiest, when everything is good with my family and my people and my people I love, you know?
1: Absolutely. Well, what a note to leave our interview on. Thank mm. you so much, John no Connors. Bye. That was brilliant. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming in, <laughs> Delias. John Connors for The First Exchange.